there's no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. everybody and welcome to no more room in hell number 42 that's right we are finally back i think we got a lot to say a lot of talk to talk about but i guess we'll find out soon joining me as always it's mr venom what's up venom how are you greetings and salutations lovelorn vampires how the fuck are you mike i'm doing pretty good yeah man it, it's kind of weird because you know we do fresh cuts together obviously too so it's like even when this show is taking you know longer gaps between episodes than usual it, it feels kind of weird saying hey we haven't recorded in a while because me and you are like well actually us two have recorded a few days ago like you know yeah, um, but yep, yep. i'm thoroughly yeah, recording with well, mike at this point yes <laughs> yeah i know but uh hey this show brings back in our co- other co-hosts so welcome in derek what's up derek how are you Yes, it's been a while, and it's probably mostly due to me, because I've been just super fucking busy uh, scheduling. Uh, I was coming down from a cold last week when we were supposed to record last week, and just scheduling and things came up, personal things. So thank you for being patient with me, guys, and sorry our Valentine's episode's in the beginning of March. It happens, but uh, eh, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do our we'll do our St. Patrick's Day episode in May. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it'll it, things like this happen. Not a big deal. I mean, it, it always helps when all of us are involved with other things. So it's not like if we can't record this show that we're totally shut out from just making content. So everyone that listens to this is probably still familiar with all our other stuff. So, um, but yeah, we're back hopefully to regularly, uh, scheduled, uh, shows, but, um, for now we'll just, uh, try to get through this one. And I'm assuming we have a lot to catch up on with what we've been watching, playing, reading, all that kind of stuff. So I guess we will get right into our list on that. So venom, I'll kick it to you first. Uh, what do you want to tell us that you've been up to? Um, man, um, as I was telling the guys before we started recording, um, I, I started a new job at the beginning of the year this year. It's it's keeping me incredibly busy, way busier than DirecTV ever kept me. So I don't have the free time to watch as much stuff as I'd like. Usually I like to bring... Um, you know, brand new movies like 2022 films that we don't cover on Fresh Cuts for this segment. But unfortunately, I've pretty much been sticking to our Fresh Cuts movies because of time and everything else. Like even as soon as, soon as we're done here tonight, I'll be watching uh, this week's Fresh Cuts episode that we'll be discussing tomorrow night on the episode. But um, one thing that I have been watching that I, that I re- recently rewatched, um, one of my favorite performances from one of my favorite genre actors and uh, the actor is mr vincent price 
And the movie is 1964's The Last Man on Earth. Now, some people might know this as the Omega Man. Some people might know this as uh, I Legend, or I Am Legend, excuse me. Um, I, I believe I Am Legend was the original Richard Matheson book, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yep. And then, so we've had three movies, uh, three at least popular movies. I know there have been more, because I know there was The Last Man on Earth that came out in the 2000s um, that I never saw, but I'm sure a few of you out there saw. But anyway, today we're discussing 1964, The Last Man on Earth. Um, this one I like a lot more than, say, the more modern one. This one has so much more heart than uh, Will Smith's I Am Legend. Like, Will Smith's I Am Legend is, uh, you know, it's an action-packed extravaganza, you know, lots of CG effects, things like that. This one, it's a, it's a much more subdued story. Um, we actually start, our movie actually starts as the pandemic is starting, so there's still lots of people on the earth, but then slowly, you know, he starts losing people. He loses uh, Vincent Price's character, Dr. Robert Morgan, loses his daughter, loses his wife. Suddenly he finds himself as the titular last man on earth. He ends up finding a woman or, you know, running into a woman out in the real world during the day. Um, the reasons that's important for those who haven't seen the movie is that the antagonists here, kind of like I Am Legend, are kind of a weird vampire-zombie hybrid type thing where they can't come out in the sun, they only come out at night, and they kind of look like zombies, at least in this movie, with the pale blue skin. The thing is, is that they talk. The zombies can talk. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's very much a hybrid antagonist. So, you know, um, it really it's up to the viewer's interpretation. But as I mentioned earlier, this is one of my favorite performances from Vincent Price. You know, I, I love Witchfinder General. I love ha A House on Haunted Hill. But Last Man on Earth, I feel like this. this is a... Uh, kind of a uh, tour de force, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but you know, for a Vincent Price performance, uh, th this is absolutely one of my favorites. Just a great movie, great story, great dialogue. Um, like I said, if you're looking for the action um, that you find in the more modern interpretations, yeah, you're not going to really see that here. But you've got just a nice little isolated story with, as I said, one of Vincent Price's best performances. So. Uh, I assume you guys, or at least one of you guys, have seen this. So go ahead, jump on in on Last Man on Earth. Yeah, I've seen it. It's pretty great. <laughs> Damn right. And it's Italian too, so mic drop. Yeah, that's right. You're not even thinking about that as you're watching it, but yeah, very much, uh, very Italian. I'm assuming I, silence. Mike hasn't seen it. Yeah, I have not seen it, so I was <laughs> sitting in the back row on this one to not interrupt. But uh, <laughs> it sounds like it's worth seeing for sure, though. Yeah, and I know, and I know, and I know what it is you're talking about. So, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's my favorite interpretation of this story. Like of, all, of the three major films that I named, The Omega Man, Last Man on Earth, and I Am Legend, this one is by far my favorite. It could be that I'm biased for Vincent Price. I'm very aware of that and okay with admitting it if that's the case. But yeah, this is by far my favorite interpretation. And, and as I said, one of my favorite performances of his, yeah. he's not like over the top goofy evil, you know, which, which I'm very cool with. Don't get me wrong. I love over the top Vincent Price, but this one to me, you know, he, he runs the gamut of, of emotions, but without being the over the top, you know, pseudo British, you know, suave, debonair guy that he usually is like he's legitimately scared and running for his life and multiple scenes in this movie so it's just a different look at vincent price i like it yeah 
That's it for me, Mike, for this round. All right, let's kick it on over to Derek. Uh, what do you got up first? Hmm. Okay. Now, you guys did cover this infamous movie on Fresh Cuts, and that is, I actually got a chance to sit down, put it on Netflix, and watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Woo! <laughs> Mike's favorite movie uh, of the year. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, of the year of, I don't know. Oh, not, not this. Kind of, it's probably not even his favorite movie of the week. <laughs> yeah. You never know. The probably years, not. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Watch him still make his top ten. <laughs> I would I have lots of explaining that. to do with that if that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so let's there. Yeah, I, it's it's definitely lacking in story. I'll admit that the story's not the greatest. The the gore, you know, it's it what's uh, like like just when that you know I was into the movie when that guy got hammered in the knee, you know, Leatherface is just fucking people up, and all of a sudden he just comes inside to this bus, <laughs> and it's like the greatest scene ever. That's the thing. This is a very divisive scene. Either this is the greatest Texas Chainsaw Massacre scene ever filmed, or you you hate it with <coughs> a fiery passion of a thousand suns. It, it, there's no middle ground with this scene. You either love it or you can't stand it. <laughs> but, and See, I'm a uh, actually. I, I do love that scene. It's over the top. It's silly. It's not very Texas Chainsaw Massacre-like. But it's an absolute gorehound's wet dream. So <laughs> I accept it. It's all the shit I wanted Leatherface to do in the other sequels, you know. <laughs> That's the thing. This new Texas Chainsaw is as violent as people perceived the 1974 movie to be. Yeah. Like a lot of people, you know, that you get that Mandela effect where, you know, people think the movie is way more violent than it was because, you know, they're they're turning their head or they're not really paying attention or they're plugging in scenes in their own head that they think happened. Like, you know, the big discussion of do we actually see the hook go into that girl's back? The answer is no. But you you'll find people that will swear on their life that you see the hook go into her back and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that's the Mandela yeah. effect. But yeah, yeah, this movie, this modern one, gave us the gore that was perceived in the first one. If it works or not, that's up to the individual. Yeah, for sure. And I want to say Mick Garris as Sally was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 sorry, I apologize for the actress upright. But man, she looks like Mick Garris. <laughs> Oh, oh man, God. yeah, it's all right. I'm done. Show's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of have a mid like to me. The bus scene is good. Like, if you isolate that out as just like, its own thing, I'm fine with it. Like, I actually, I think I would be like the middle ground on if we're just talking about the bus scene. I do think it's good for what it is. I just don't. This just, to me, just something like that doesn't make or break the movie to me because I'm like, it's a good individual scene that yeah. doesn't make me like the movie overall better, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, but I've been burned so much on this fucking franchise already, I'm like, yep. at least this one has, is sort of watchable for me, even though, you know, I'll admit some of it's shitty still. 
Oh, that yeah, makes sense. Uh, uh, I guess the way I feel about it is like if 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 you're okay, so I think there's like two minds with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise itself, and I think that's really what it comes down to. If for the people that are okay with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre just basically turning into Leatherface as a slasher icon guy running around killing people, you're probably going to be fine with like the newer stuff because that's kind of what TCM 3D was. Although, we don't talk about that movie here. Well, but even my own memory of it's fading because they had, I saw they it. Had the the flashback minimum, scene, you know? the sheriff had the fucking fakest wig on. <laughs> yeah, I, but I mean... The whole thing is, like, if you look at the original, to me, everything that made that, you know, special and above why I rank it so high just all time is because it wasn't, well, obviously it predated most modern slashers anyway, but it didn't feel like the other slasher movies in how it approached the material. Even Leatherface, like Leatherface himself wasn't just your average, like it wasn't a Jason or a Freddy or that kind of villain. And I think with where the franchise has gone, it's definitely turned into making it about him being that kind and uh, kind of like slasher villain. And if people are okay with that and they're entertained by that, then I think you're going to like, you know, where the franchise has gone. And to me, I don't necessarily find it like it's not a terrible thing in itself. Just to me, I just kind of shrug my shoulders like, okay, so we're just turning this into every other like Friday the 13th movie when that's not what Texas Chainsaw Massacre was. And I tend to hold the original idea and concept behind it where it was like Leatherface. I think I meant to bring this up on Fresh Cuts and we got so deep in the woods on other stuff. I never got a chance to say it. Not anyone else's fault, but it was just I something I forgot. But to me, Leatherface was the gimp in Pulp Fiction, right? So if you isolate that gimp character out... He was getting face-fucked by the fucking hitchhiker? Yes. Um, So the gimp (laughs) itself is kind of odd, kind of strange, kind of someone you don't want to run into. But what made that gimp scene and and the totalitarity of the situation weird was the fact that he's locked up in the basement of a Guns and Ammo star, store with kind of like a weird I don't even know if you call him a redneck because it's I think Jason it's like Lloyd, it, isn't it? Jason um, and he's in the basement of a Guns and Ammo store with also a corrupt cop. So it's the totalitarian of the situation, not just the game itself. And I think that's the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it wasn't just about Leatherface. It was, okay, yes, Leatherface is there and he's causing some carnage, but it was everything else about the, the strangeness of the family, the cannibalism, the mm-hmm. near-damn-dead grandpa sucking the blood out of Sally's finger, the dinner scene. Like, that's what made that... Leatherface was one component to that. Yep. And I think... When And specifically when you say, oh, well, this is going to be a requel because we're basing it off the original because we really get what makes the original the original. That's what you're selling me. When And this is not me bringing my bias into it. That's you telling me that you're doing a requel. You're doing this. And, but then when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, this is nothing. But no, this is much more just a new modern yeah. take on it. So 
you well, I don't know like, why that's are they selling them marketing like that? is lying market marketers lie to us promoters lie to us that's the, that's how they get our butts in the seats but i don't even think but that was necessary off. i don't even think that was necessary if you because as you can see from online there's plenty of people that were happy with just a le- like a, a leather face run amok sequel so it's like if you, here's an example what well, this trailer that just came out uh amityville in space right? oh i was about to bring that up yeah did you watch that like it doesn't look fantastic but it looks like ridiculous stupid potential fun right now going into that movie i would be dumb to expect anything else other than that based on what they just presented to me um so to me, that's like at least trying to be honest with what you're selling. You're selling like a ridiculous, stupid product. With this, with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, at least it seemed like there was effort behind it to like say, hey, this is, you know, we're keeping the original in mind when we're making this one. And to me, like other than the fact that you had Leatherface in it, and I guess in your, you know, version of Texas, <laughs> I think it was Bulgaria, right, that they filmed it in. But, you yeah. know, fair enough. They they tried to make it like an old Western ish looking yeah. place that, that was fine but you're trying to sell me on the fact that like oh we're we're taking more into account the original and not like all these other ones did well then yes that's what i'm going to expect that doesn't mean i'm going to think it's a good movie or a bad movie but yeah if you're telling me this then i should go into it expecting somewhat that you're doing that and that's not what you did now in it's in it all that in itself doesn't make it good or but even if I put all that aside, I still thought it was a mediocre movie. But I understand why people that are happy with just a movie with Leatherface running around killing people, if that's all you really wanted out of it, I understand why it worked for you more than it – or when it didn't work for me. So um, Folks, that's something from, from that I didn't bring up. Whoa, whoa. Uh, the last uh, – Mike's last five to ten minute diatribe perfectly explains why I stopped watching trailers three years ago. Mike had a certain expectation based on either the trailer or maybe something that he read going into it. I do not. Now, I'm not sitting here tooting my own horn and saying that I'm a better horror fan than Mike, not by any stretch. But I'm saying marketing lies. Trailers lie. They lie to our fucking face. That's why I stopped watching them. And maybe that's why of the three of us on the show, I walked away the most positive on Texas Chainsaw. The other thing, which I'm sure we're going to get into a little bit more in, in the burning question, is is the expectations. This is the ninth movie in a horror franchise. Let me repeat that. This is the ninth chapter of a horror franchise. What the fuck about that statement makes you think you're going to get a better movie? Yeah. I mean, do, do, do we already forget the lessons of Jason Goes to Hell and Puppet Master 9? I mean... This is what I'm talking about, how expectations infuriate me when people walk out of a theater saying that movie was fucking garbage because for some reason they thought they were getting Texas Chainsaw 1974.2. And yes, I I agree with Mike that maybe that's how it was marketed, but (laughs) that's why I don't watch trailers. Well, the the trailer, no, the trailer didn't, no, the trailer made me think it it was going to be exactly 
what, what it was. Up, yeah. The trailer yeah. looked like it was a Leatherface run amok movie, and that's why right off the bat I was like, oh, okay, uh, this well, doesn't seem was, to match what you guys were saying. That's what I mean, what you guys were saying. So you obviously read that somewhere. I do not read promotional materials before going into a movie. I don't want to be biased in any way, shape, or form. Like I said, I'm not you know, trying to say that I'm doing it right and everyone else is doing it wrong. Not at all. Everyone do it the way that you fucking want to do it. But the point is, is that I will be damned if I ever let a trailer mislead me ever again. If I ever let a piece of promotional material mislead me again, that will never happen. So, yeah. And again, you know, the fact that I walked away from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 with a more positive outlook on it, Maybe it's because I didn't watch the trailer. Maybe it's because I didn't read any materials. Or maybe it's because I'm a 40-plus-year horror fan and that I know that the ninth chapter in a horror franchise is not going to be a winner. Like, yeah, but, but that, But to me, you're, do, but you're just doing the same thing in the opposite. You're, to me, I mean, that's just my opinion, is by you quantifying, well, why it should be, then that's almost... Oh, and I'm not saying off, that's be. almost starting off with giving it an excuse not to be good and no, say, well, I, I don't no. expect it to be because it's the ninth. Like, uh, don't forget, me, I yeah. didn't say the movie was good. I never said Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 is good. I spent the entire episode talking about why it's not good. What I'm saying is I walked away with an enjoyable experience because I expect modern horror movies to have shitty, stupid, woke characters. I just expect it. And guess what? That's exactly what we got. And, you know, even though I don't like when horror movies are filled with shitty characters just to be fodder for the killer, I found myself enjoying it here. I found myself enjoying watching these shitty people getting cut in half and having, you know, body parts chainsawed off of them. People getting uh, decapitated and shit, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a awesome. rare thing. You know, you guys know I love my cerebral horror more than most, but every now and again, I walk into a movie with just either no expectations or incredibly low expectations, which I, I try not to do that either. Because I think we, you're doing just as much of a disservice if you go in with really low expectations as well. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is, folks, don't do expectations, damn it. Even if it's your favorite franchise, even when Scream 6 comes out in 2024, don't <laughs> just don't fucking, you know, don't go in, you know, yes, be excited. Yes, it's a new chapter of your favorite horror franchise. Awesome. It's fine to be excited, but don't expect that it's ever going to touch the original or the, the first few originals if we're up into double digits. I mean, the next Texas Chainsaw movie is going to be 10. Fucking, we're into double digits now. Very few horror in franchises space. have hit. Yeah, it'll be in space or in the hood, one or the other. Take your pick. Well, yeah, and that, <laughs> that's but and that's why I was also gonna like clarify. Like, I think there's, I think sometimes we're talking about two different things when we get in this conversation because there's the expectations of it being good or bad, which I really don't have because you don't really know until you watch it. But then there's the separate expectations when you're telling me what kind of movie you're going to make well, and then you don't well, make it. Now, well, not, well, you, could, not, you could put that on the viewer, but hey, that's you telling me that, not you telling me that. Technically, you do that all the time when we talk about Marvel movies in the chats. I'm just saying. Well, no. <laughs> Okay. Well, Mike Marvel, just doesn't like Marvel movies. No, Marvel movies, but, but, but he hasn't seen any of the, the 
Well, I mean, you, you don't yeah, necessarily but, have to see something to know. I mean, but the Marvel movies, trailers, I, and you know, I'm not, I'm not making a statement that they're bad. I'm just saying, yeah, I'm not making an absolute statement saying these. Yeah, are but bad whenever movies. we bring I'm it up, I'm just saying I like, have a disinterest. Yeah, but uh, that's me messing around with that. I don't I'm, care uh, about romantic I'm, comedies. I don't care how good a romantic comedy is. It doesn't mean I'm ever going to watch it. So I, I totally understand Mike's point with either Marvel or Disney movies. They're not for him. And this is America, and he can hate whatever the hell he wants to hate. That's fine. Uh, I, I do remember. And I don't even, I, I don't even, like, I don't even hate them. I'm just saying I'm just interested in watching them. Sure, and, and that's fine. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. What I find uh, problematic is that sometimes you'll make a comment about a movie that you've never seen, assuming that you're correct. Most recently, you did that with Free Guy. Where you where because it was the middle of the pandemic oh, yeah. and Free Guy was playing on what like five or six screens at your theater and you were like why the fuck is it why are they doing this and the easy answer is that fucking movie is great you never saw it and that's fine but your comments <sighs> on a movie that you haven't seen that's what gets me I, I was will it really never... great though was it's it really fucking... great. Dude, it's up there with Ready Player One. I fucking loved Free Guy and I don't was like Ready Ryan Player Ryan. One. Great though. Ready Player One is a fucking masterpiece, and if you don't, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I haven't haven't seen it. Godzilla, you don't talk about that movie. Mecha Godzilla and The Shining in the same movie? Uh, Yeah, ten out of ten, my friend. You know? (laughs) No, but it's true. I mean, you know, you made that comment about Free Guy that day, and I had already seen it twice at that point. I think Derek had already seen it once, and we're both like, "What the fuck are you talking about? That movie is great." You can't comment on movies because you think they look stupid. You can make the comment that you think it looks stupid. That's fine. No, but what I but see now, I I gotta remember what the context of the conversation overall because was it what was I asking? No, but was I asking about the number of screens because I didn't think the movie was worthy, or because I was asking, that, hey, let's get other movies on screen. What it, I think was it that I was asking, is the demand out there for it to be on that many screens? Maybe that's what no, no, I don't but at remember. The same time, it's a pandemic, and there's not really a whole lot of a. I mean, this was the middle of the pandemic when Free Guy came out. It was like late yeah. 2020. So I mean, I you know, with, with a lack. Well, of maybe there's not blockbusters there. being made. Well, see, that's the thing. I, I I would have to go back and look, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, was I just messing around with you guys, or was I being? Yeah, I. So you know, like I I said, it's a you know. I'm not saying you hate every comic book movie because you just said that you enjoyed the Batman. Yeah, yeah. I here's the thing: the majority of comic movies I've seen, I don't, I don't dislike. That's the thing. It's just a there was a certain point in the timeline of comic movies where the output of them became so heavy that I just personally started getting disinterested in watching them. But I, but like, I never, I never say, Oh, those movies are bad. I just say, See, I'm not. You know, you know who says those movies are bad. Half the fucking Oscar winning directors are like, because they're in the fucking theaters. And you know, when I stopped listening to those news articles, this is when Roland Emmerich started complaining. I'm like, you shut the fuck up. You made Godzilla 98. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean... He's the last person that gets a voice on this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to defend, like, the director saying that they shouldn't be in theaters. Like, we would have to go, like, you know, line by line on their statements. And, and, to, and the fucked really up thing is, like, Martin Scorsese's fucking complaining about these movies. But he would fucking, you know, Godzilla's and these movie, B-movies were, like, his favorite movies growing up. These are, like, the B-movies of this era. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but, yeah... I, I, I mean, I agree. 
I would just have to look at their look at the full statements and seeing are they are they complaining about comic book, comic book movies themselves? Are they complaining that it seems like that's all that people want to go see anymore because they take up such a big portion of, of the theater because that's all that will make money? The, well, you that's, know, that's all that's, that's turning like the, profit. The director of the last night, Ridley Scott, right? Uh, he yeah. got all pissed off because that movie flopped. But Shang-Chi made, you know, $100 million in its opening weekend. The thing, I mean, ultimately, look, there's a market for movies, you know, the upscale artistic movies like The Last Night, you know, Oscar-worthy cinema. But if you think a movie like The Last Night starring, uh, what the fuck is his name? Matt Kyle Damon. And, and Matt Damon. Adam Driver. Like, if you think that movie is going to make $100 million, then you're a fucking moron, Ridley Scott. And I fucking love Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott is a genius. I absolutely adore him. But if if you're actually that surprised that Shang-Chi destroyed the last night, you don't know how the cinema works. You just don't. You you can make a great movie, but you don't understand the marketing. Marvel is king right now. Marvel, Disney, Pixar, that's the those are the studios that are making money right now. I'm not saying that other studios shouldn't make mo- uh, movies. No, not at all. Um oh. th- there's a place for independent cinema and even, you know, for larger cinema like the last night like the green night even the green night is a movie that kind of failed at the theater even though it's a visually stunning film based on an epic poem but you know it it, it, it's not you know um 10 year olds aren't clamoring to go see the green night 10 year olds aren't clamoring to go see the power of dog uh power of the dog you know whatever the case may be they want to see marvel they want to see pixar they want to see disney and it's an unfortunate truth of cinema right now that that's what's making money and it's unfortunate but i mean if you truly love and want to support something then stop complaining and go out there go watch I was just going to say, everyone listening, everyone listening, keep in mind, we're kind of having this conversation off the cuff. Like, I don't have all the statements by all the directors in front of us. I didn't know. And I'm trying to just piece together kind of what their sentiment was, because I I don't want to the points you guys are bringing up are are completely valid. I just don't want to reduce their statement to saying Marvel or comic movies suck. No one should see them. Cause no, I no, don't no. think that's, that's what they were saying. That. No, no, not right. Exactly. Martin Scorsese me, said that superhero movies, his exact words are that superhero movies are less cinema and more roller coaster. Yeah. He, he basically says that they're not cinema. They're not films. They are movies meant for entertainment but that does, what he does isn't in that vein. So he wasn't necessarily insulting. He was insulting Netflix movies, though, for a little while, where he That's was saying that one. Netflix <laughs> movies shouldn't win Oscars because they don't play in theaters, um, which, again, is an absolute, completely bullshit statement to make. Yeah, because I would come down on, on the didn't. That's what disagreement I mean. side on that. So that's what I mean. All these directors—they're they're making little statements, but none of them are stupid enough to say something derogatory against yeah. Marvel or anything I like mean, that. So. To kind of yeah, I try to look at their these directors. I try to come down with a middle ground with their statements because I think, regardless of what their personal sentiments are, I don't even think they're dumb enough to suggest. Well, I wouldn't say they're dumb. Period. So oh, that's the wrong way to put it. <laughs> I would say that I don't think they're suggesting that they don't realize why comic book movies make all the money they do. Like, take me oh. for example. 
if I'm going to go to a comic book movie, I'm most likely taking either my family or at least my kids right there. Just based off that, they're going to make more revenue than like when I'm going alone to see something else. I think the more point is like, okay, sure. Go take your kids to see a Marvel movie, whatever. But then like the next week, why aren't you as like 40 year old person going to see this other movie that has like, it's not that like the last night and I'm not even saying that movie specific cause I didn't see that one. You know, I didn't have huge interest in that one, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> why isn't like, why are other movies just completely failing? I don't think anyone would think the last night's going to make money like a Marvel movie. That would be just be ridiculous to suggest, but that's different than everything besides Marvel movies flopping, you know? Yep. I think that that's kind of like the middle ground. Like, Hey, I'm not saying don't go see comic book movies. There's, good place for them it's good family entertainment there's no arguing that yeah, i think yeah. it's like but then why aren't the adults seeing like the other stuff without the kids on the other weeks i guess that's a lot of money man movies are like up to 25 bucks on the weekend true true yeah. get yeah. yourself I the mean, amc studios, pass studios gotta understand yo yeah get the amc pass especially if you want to go pass Batman, where they're fucking i mean you guys heard about that right amc charging extra for batman tickets oh i I saw that article like yeah that's and dirty. to me that's fucking dirty well it's just well like do you it. want people to stop going to the theaters or what it's just that's ridiculous what, right that's it, it seems counterproductive it's like it's the biggest movie of the month coming out why would you charge more i, I understand why they would because they're money-grubbing bastards but I mean, why would you be so public about your money grubbing this? You know, it's well, like not, yeah, not only that, but it's like okay, so should like lower budget movies be lesser priced? Because I know you're not going to do that. So like, where's the balance? Where's yeah. the balance to charging extra for like the popular demand movies? Yep. I you know I mean I. I still wouldn't like the fact that they're charging extra, but at least if you're going to balance it, then you could maybe give the justification of like, okay, well, we're going to reduce the price for these like one screen movies that'll only be here for a couple of weeks to yes. encourage people to come see those, you know? The cursed. <laughs> the cursed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Already, it's already gone in theaters. I was planning on seeing it today, literally, and it's gone. None, none, of, the, yeah. none of the theaters are showing it. So it and got a two week run. It was mostly well reviewed from it, what it, I saw. It got Thanos snapped. Yeah, exactly. It fucking dusted. It got dusted out of the theaters. Mike has no idea what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, I'm sure yeah, he knows. I know enough reference. about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know exactly. the reference. He, I you don't, you don't have to see Jaws to know that there's a shark in it. <laughs> you do. Speaking of that, I did just. Speaking of Jaws, I just did upgrade to get the 4K. Oh yeah, me too. I got that last summer. Wow, yeah. this Texas Chainsaw Massacre mini review turned into a half-hour fucking rant. A marvel, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How did well, we get the marvel? <laughs> it was kind of like the the burning question I was going to ask, but because I I was like, well, if Derek saves Texas Chainsaw for the last round, then maybe. It'll will seamlessly transition right into the burning question, but since you we brought it up first, I'm like, well, there we go. <laughs> we don't do seamless transitions on this show. Come on. No, How long no. Have you I like to start <laughs> chaos early. Get it out of the way. Yeah. Let's just say goodnight now. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. chaos. <laughs> this, this, this isn't Mike's picks, though, man. Oh, that's true. No, okay, fuck it. We're staying. <laughs> uh, oh, man. All right. so, uh, I guess the long and the short of it is uh, <laughs> there's not really going to be a correct review of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. It's really going to be up to the individual. You know, if, if you're if you're going to have any kind of expectations whatsoever, you're going to be disappointed. 
if if you've listened to multiple reviews and you still haven't watched it, then hopefully you understand that it's really a shut off your brain and just enjoy the gore type movie. You know, you know what I nothing... learned from this? What's that? I learned that Mike's number one movie is going to be anime villain space. Oh, yeah. guarantee. Well, he's all you know, about you... the trailer. A few years ago, when they made that Leatherface movie, right? That was Leatherface. I watched it, but I don't know why I can't remember a lot from. But that was Leatherface focused, right? Like a prequel almost wasn't it supposed to be? Yeah, that was, was well, that was the origin story. With Stephen Dorff, yeah, playing right bad guy. Yeah, and it, well, to me, it's like okay, the fact that you're naming the movie Leatherface, you're kind of like right being up front, like this is going to be Leatherface focused. I'm like, build off if you want to make future installments that are Leatherface anchored by that character then start calling him Leatherface it just, like, just make sucks. Leatherface you know, movies you know but even that, last Leatherface, of... even that last Leatherface movie still had an element of the family in there it wasn't yeah, like yeah, which is literally a standalone Leatherface yeah. movie yeah you know, the thing that sucks about these like newer ones and like because they can't use Chop Top because he's owned by MGM and it's fucking bullshit oh that sucks you would think that the rights aren't that expensive. I mean, these are billion-dollar studios. It's like, dude, buy the rights. Because I would like to see, like, Bill Mosley come back as fucking chopped up for one. It's not a matter of the money. It's a matter of if they're willing to sell. Yeah. I, I don't know that I'd want to sell that character either. Because MGM's fucking very stingy with that shit, because they do a lot of... Because I was actually listening to the Hysteria Continues uh, recently, and they just did a... Well, it's actually going to be the next movie I talk about. They did a commentary for the movie Creature... And it was owned by like Orion slash MGM, and they made them sign an agreement that they would actually cut their commentary. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny because it's like Rob Zombie's been wanting to make a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie since the beginning, and he's kind of like danced around making it with just he's, making he's it very it, similar. He's done it with Halloween. He done it with the remake of fucking Halloween, basically. And in that movie, that new Ty West one coming out, X, it's like, like part Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So yeah. it's like yeah. people are kind of dancing around trailer park Myers. Fuck you, you fucking clown faggot. I'm William <laughs> Forsyth. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> I fucking hate that movie so much. Oh God. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess, uh, thanks for that. Uh, pick Derek that sent us into a frenzy of a topic. Fuck you, Michael. Um, Fuck you, you fucking clown bag shit. <laughs> Fuck you. So, um, I watched a movie called <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2020. No, just kidding. I don't know. Um, what do I got first? Well, considering how long ago this episode was originally going to uh, record, I, I have written down that I finally finished Midnight Mass. Um, so, this, I think this is when we're going to record it in December. Dude, but yeah. Dude. Dude, didn't it end exactly like how the Grinch stole Christmas? La, 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 la. <laughs> yeah, that... Man, that show was the probably... The Whoville were singing. That was yeah. as good as any movie I saw last year, I think. Yes. Not, I mean, it, it, just amazing. if we did a top ten of just horror content, not just horror movies, that would have been in my top ten, by far. Yeah, it was pretty great. Yeah, and I like the way, you know, it it questions religion, but it doesn't mock it in any way. Like it takes it very exactly. serious. It treats it as a sacred thing in that community. It just shows like how it can be manipulated and justified to do 
things, right? I'll leave it at you, that for yeah. anyone that I mean, seen. you know, you know, this show is great because it got me to watch extended scenes of in church gospel, and I enjoyed every fucking second of it. Uh, and and that's a hard thing because religion pretty much just you know sickens me for the most part. But yeah, every minute of that series was just amazing. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. And plus, that lady who played the evil like nun lady, she's a fucking she 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 gives fucking Miss Harmony a run for her fucking money. Yeah, that's true. Very valid. Yeah, and she's almost like less on the nose about it too, like. Because she's good at kind of concealing, like, the kind of bad intentions behind her stuff. And that could just be the fact that since it's a six – I think it was six episodes, right? Since it's a more long, drawn-out story, there's not as much, you know, urgency to reveal her, like, evilness, I guess, as in a 90-minute movie. So that is an advantage of telling a story in that medium is you can really flesh out characters when the story – you know, justifies it. Cause I think in the midnight masses case, it did justify being longer than just a movie. I'm excited for fucking house of usher now, man. Yeah, me too. Franklin Jeller and Mark Hamill in the same series. Flanagan is, uh, he's batting a thousand on his TV series. And really you could make the argument. He's batting a thousand on movies too, though. Some of his early ones may be a little bit more questionable, but yeah, I mean, as far as his TV stuff goes, it can't be denied. The man, the man is flawless thus far. Yeah, and Midnight Mass. Yeah, and I, I think Midnight Mass to me might be like where he took that next level of the type of material he's covering, like or adapting. And I don't know, man. I just found it to be like multi-layered, fucking greatness. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Like, yeah, my um, series of the year, definitely. Just the whole scene with Katie Siegel's explaining how she dies and shit is like fucking. Yeah. Spoiler alert. God, the end of episode what three or four on the lake holy shit yeah and and the way you just the way that they let katie siegel's crying play throughout the rest of the closing credits that 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 episode is like to me the high point of the series and that closing credits just listening to her cry holy shit a fucking yeah emotional gut Um, punch times a thousand my favorite scene is the scene with the paralegic lady when she confronts the fucking guy that shot her Oh, that is also an oh, yeah. incredibly yeah. heavy scene. Holy shit. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, very valid. Yeah, that was an emotional emotional punch right there. Yeah. Because it's like everything she's grand, I wouldn't even call it a rant, but everything she's confronting him with, it feels justified. But then the way she pulls that rug out at the end of the uh, confrontation and how, how it affects him almost – is what really drives it home. It's true. Yeah. 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 Uh, I remember like fucking Bo talking about when he did a show on it and he's just talking about that scene. He's like, Oh, that's, he got man tears. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Absolutely. I will not. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> All right. Well, since midnight mass is, you know, was way over. At least we this... agree on something for once. So yeah. yeah. All bad. <laughs> so I'll just uh, throw another one in on this round. It's not even a horror movie, but hey, uh, Jack asks forever. Uh, the only thing I'll say is, if 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 you're af- if you're afraid of the lots of dicks on the screen, yeah, you, you might be. Yeah, that was scared way this more one. Dick than I ever wanted to see in one movie. Was there I a lot? I didn't see it. I didn't see it. it, but is there a lot of shit in it? No, 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 shit actually not. Oh, there's yeah. one. 
I think there's one um what do you call it? Porta potty blow up or something. But that's oh, it. Yeah. No, because you know, Dave England, he he does a lot of things with his asshole where he just, yeah, just yeah. and I'm like, I don't need to see this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they so did do a good day. thing. Yeah, they did a good thing at the end where they showed how some of their modern like pranks and stunts are like evolved versions of like stuff they did when they had lower budget. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's like the majority of the Jackass crew is about to hit like 50. So this definitely had the feeling of like either we're handing it off or we're just done because our bodies can't just can't take this coming soon. Anymore. Viva la bam, the movie. It, it, it's a, it was a nice close to the franchise because they're absolutely positively not doing any more. I mean, I've heard rumors that they were going to bring in a whole younger crew. Like it wouldn't be like Knoxville would be like producing it, not actually performing. Yeah. Uh, but that, I have to, I've been hearing about that for years and that's oh. never come to fruition. Fuck it. Fuck it. You can still do bad grandpa movies. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> I just I don't want to see that man die on screen. <laughs> I'm so terrified <laughs> that he's just going to land on his head one day. Dude, yeah, he survived like, so much fucking bullshit. Forward. It was just crazy. He broke he he broke his dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the 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 problem you have bringing in a new crew is it kind of it's it, gonna feel fake. Well, it, it it will feel fake, and it it kind of brushes aside the fact that part of the reason why you you've grown to love Jackass is the personalities themselves. It feels like there's genuine friendships. There's genuine concern for each other. Yeah. It's like three different factions. No. Yep. I'll go ahead. I was just going to say this one felt a little odd to me without Ryan and bam. Obviously, you know, Ryan passed away and bam is dealing with his drug troubles, but yeah, they're, they were too big. Um, members of the team that I was fans of, especially Bam. All the shit that he did with yeah. his parents it was absolutely yeah. great. Yeah. But, so without yeah, well, Bam and Ryan, it felt a little less jackass, but you know, it, it's still and, absolutely. And, and, and yeah, and all the additional crew he has too. Uh, like, I, did like and yeah, and I, I did like the new crew. They were they were entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it just feels like you know, like no Bam. Why is you know they're not going to show Bam's parents, of course, because they're he. Why would they? You know. Well, that's that's why it makes me like like I'm hoping that somehow there can be a reconciliation because they're what like Bam did film stuff and for they a do snippet, the Bam he's cut. in the movie. Yeah, because the <laughs> they're already talking about you know because with all the other ones they did like the later release of like the whatever number point five where it was like additional footage. Sure. Yep. So there is more footage with Bam and hopefully more Bam's crew. Um, in it, so hopefully we'll see that in the future. Because uh, he's he's in a snippet of that marching band stunt, just because there was probably no way they could edit um, that sure. sliver out and have it make sense. But uh, other than that, yeah, he's not in it, and it's it's gl- it's pretty glaring because he's such a big part of it. Um, but you know, that's something uh, we'll have to see. It's kind of out of our hands, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I yeah. guess, the non-horror portion of what we watch. But I'll kick it back to Venom if you got something else. I got one more that I watched this week that would still fall into our, you know, broad categories here. And I haven't talked about Wings Hauser in, like, two months. And I can't oh. go that talking about Wings Hauser, of course. So, of course, I'm bringing in uh, 1984's Mutant, also known as Night Shadows. The Bohoxons, uh, too. Yeah, Bo Hopkins in there, Lee Montgomery, I mean, Jennifer Warren. This is actually a pretty decent little cast. But yeah, 
Wings Hauser, um, for those who've never seen it, you know, uh, Wings plays one of two brothers who um, go to a small town in the south, uh, but the uh, members of this town are being infected by some kind of toxic waste kind of turning them into like, you know, zombie type characters or I mean, flat out zombies, if you will. Um, obviously, it's from 84. It's Wings Hauser. It's low budget. You kind of know what you're in for. But my God, is this movie just entertaining to me on so many levels? Uh, just so, some of the line deliveries in this movie are ridiculous. Um, the fight scene in the bar, one of the worst fight scenes ever set to film. <laughs> Uh, the zombies themselves, I've just how they look. I mean, this movie was made to be a mystery science theater movie. I don't think they ever actually did this, but yeah, uh, holy shit. Um, I mean, what else can I say about this movie without giving away too, too much about the story and the ending? Um, it's a movie that's available on Tubi currently for free. So if you've got a, a Tubi subscription, not that you even need a subscription, you could log in as a guest, but if you can get your hands on Tubi, yeah, Mutant. An hour and 40 minutes, like I said, 1984, um, you know, toxic waste zombies. It, it, if it sounds fun, which it always does to me, I would say check it out. And obviously curb your expectations. You know, this isn't alien by any stretch, by any stretch of the imagination. But it's still, like I said, it's Wingshauser. It's fun. It's over the top. It's silly. Enjoy. Yeah, the poster off <laughs> that movie is so misleading, too. Yeah, I remember the poster being really cool for that movie. Wasn't yeah. it? Wasn't it like a shadowy blue thing? Yeah, it was a shadowy like monster on it. Yeah, that's it. Yep. <laughs> and it's not even in the movie. It's no, like, definitely yeah. not. <laughs> but yeah, folks, 1984's Mutant or Mutant, if you want to pronounce it correctly. Mutant. Okay, it was later remade as Nightmare at Noon. That's right. Nightmare also starring Wings Hauser and Bo Hopkins. <laughs> oh God, Wings Hauser. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, that's it for me, Mike. <laughs> all right, uh, let's. I know, you know, I have not seen it. That's why I didn't chime in at all. Um, oh no, I wouldn't expect to have seen it. It's a, it's, like it's, I said, very low budget, silly movie. But I, I still recommend it. It's silly. Yeah, I own it on Blu-ray. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay. Let's go back to you, Derek. What do you got? Uh. Yeah, I watched a movie from 1970 called Play Misty for Me. Oh, so good. Yeah, Clint Eastwood. Yes. Directorial debut. Uh, the way I would describe it, it's it's more thriller, but it's pretty fucking rad. It's kind of like an early version of like Fatal Attraction in a way where Clint Eastwood plays like a disc jockey and he ends up meeting this woman who ends up he finds out it's the same woman that calls him every night to play a song, play Misty for me. And he ends up having an affair with this woman because he's kind of down and out with his girlfriend. And he finds out this woman's been kind of stalking him and it turns deadly where she's might kill him. That's all I'll give away. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, great cast. Eastwood's great in it. Uh, I love the cameo by his, actually, his mentor, Don Siegel, who, of course, directed Eastwood in a few different movies, including, like, The Beguiled and Two Mules for Sister Sarah. He's also the director of the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, he plays a bartender. It's a pretty great scene. Uh, 
yeah, I just enjoyed it for what it was. And it's 70s is all hell. And I love like the montage scenes of just Eastwood driving or like this music playing. Dun, 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 to his job or wherever he goes. It's so weird that he actually has a portrait of himself inside of his house, though. <laughs> I wish I did. Yeah. Uh, but it's great. If you're a fan of Clint Eastwood and you've never seen it and you want to see something a little bit different, you know, than his, like, usual, like, dirty, hairy stuff, this was pretty great. Yeah, no, this is, uh, yeah, Play Misty for me is a definitely underappreciated classic. Great slasher movie, has giallo vibes to it, like heavy giallo vibes. Um, great performance from Clint Eastwood. And isn't it weird how this movie's over 50 years old and Clint Eastwood still looks like he's 80 in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he was born an old man. Clint Eastwood, he was born a cowboy and then one day just woke up as an old man and that was it. He's starting to look like an alien from fucking Fire in the Sky. <laughs> oh my god! That's funny. It's like fucking. I, uh, it's like fucking when Kurt Ruck- Douglas was on stage at the Oscars when he was like a hundred. I'm like, fucking get off oh, the stage, fucking. He started to look like that was fucking, almost painful. He looked like fucking. Like I thought Ma- he was gonna. He looked like fucking <laughs> Mason Verger from Hannibal. <laughs> I thought he was gonna die right on stage. Yeah, I, I, it's a terrible joke to make, but goddamn, don't drag hundred-year-old guys on stage for fuck's sake. Fucking Kurt Douglas is Mumbra, Mumbra from fucking Thundercats. Like towards the, the, the like during the last year of Stan Lee's life, when I was still seeing him constantly at conventions, I'm like, does he really want to do that, or is somebody like making him? Because why, why does a 94-year-old man who's probably met every comic book fan in the world at this point still want to go? I mean, obviously, he loves what he does, so he wants to do it. But I would see him up there. And Tim Curry is another one. Like, Tim Curry, for those who don't know, had a stroke cool. a few years ago. Yeah, I feel And yeah. he's, he's wheelchair-bound. He still makes appearances. He can't even talk. Like, he doesn't speak. He mumbles. He has, like, a handler with him who will translate if he ends up saying something to the fan, but he can barely shake hands. It's, it's, I mean, it's more sad. I, I obviously I'm thankful. Like during the pandemic too. It's like fucking yes. crazy. That's what I mean. You're dragging these sick older men out in the middle of a pandemic to do these shows. It's like what, you know, I'm sure the fans appreciate it, but Jesus, I, I also appreciate Tim Curry knowing he's alive. You know, I don't want to hear that shitty news that he, you know, catches covid or something stupid because he went to a convention so yeah it's, yeah. Like, it's like fucking when the return to nukem high part one came out and then when the return to nukem high part two didn't come out for like years later and then half the cast was fucking dead like lemmy and stan lee were yep. in it and fucking cool dude was anybody was fat cool dude or still <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so i i don't know i mean like i said i i would be the same way probably if i was a, some sort of celebrity i'd probably want to go out but you know in, in you know at like in my 90s or over 100 i'd probably still want to go out and meet the fans but hopefully i'd like to think that i have someone who cares about me <laughs> who maybe will you know control me and say look uh there's a pandemic going on maybe let's not go to california this week you know something something like that i don't know but you know Obviously, Stan Lee is his own man. Kurt Douglas, Tim Curry, all the examples that we gave. It just, you know, I, I, I'm not saying I don't want to see them out there. It's great to still see them. But, 
If it means they'll stay with us a little bit longer if they stay home, I'd rather they stay home. Hell, I remember when fucking Carly was going to a convention with JP and they fucking saw Meatloaf there and fucking three months later, fucking oh. dead. You're like, fuck. Yeah, that sucks. That's that. That's one I never got to meet. He was at a show I went to in Pittsburgh once, but I, I wasn't that big a fan at the time. Uh, you know, being the, the heavy metal dick that I was, yeah, I, I didn't really care. But, yeah, it, it's definitely a regret that I didn't at least go say hello. I did meet Lemmy, though, so at, at least I, I got that one. And, and yeah. you know, and Lemmy, th- those are bucket list items for me, so I was happy there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, isn't it odd how, like, certain conventions, they'll just be, like, the most random people? Like, I remember there was one local convention here. Um, and I didn't see the entire list ahead of time. So I walk into like the main floor and like the first person set up there with a booth is the guy who played the dad in Teen Wolf. And I was like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, OK, you definitely what are you get his autograph. <laughs> <laughs> it was just weird because it's like, you know, I'm sure there are people out there that dude, want dude, to you know, you know get his stuff for whatever year, reason. Right? But What's He's, that? <laughs> the girl with the iron from Halloween Kills is definitely going to be at conventions. Oh, God. The girl with the what? <laughs> the, oh, the, the iron. Yeah. I want to do Tivoli cosplay this year. I, I, want, I want to be Tivoli. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to jump out a window, though. But, yeah. Oswald Cobblepot? Yeah, pretty close, actually, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, what happened to this episode? (laughs) We apologize now, folks. I'm not even drunk. (laughs) I'm a little baked, but that's about it. Maybe that's what's wrong. (laughs) Um, Well, for let's see, for like a standard round, I got us. I watched a movie on Netflix called Level 16. Have either of you seen this? No, this was kind of like just a background movie to watch while I'm finishing off the day at work. Uh, the basic setup, it doesn't take you very long to realize basically what's happening. Of course, like there are certain details you find out later in the movie, but the movie starts up where it's it's a bunch of uh, young ladies, like, you know, teenagers, uh, all female living in some type of facility that you assume is like. A sort of dystopian future. Uh, we're not talking Mad Max level, but there's obviously something going on where they're being raised there from being born, and at a certain point, they just kind of disappear for certain reasons. And then you learn, oh, hey, there's wealthy people involved. It doesn't, like I said, it doesn't take you very long to put together, oh, they're obviously being used for something. Um, it's not all on the level. They're obviously being lied to. And, you know, I won't spoil how it turns out, but I don't think anyone watching this would be very uh, surprised by what gets revealed. As far as the movie itself, it's okay. I mean, it's something to throw on, I guess, when you don't have much to watch. And I kind of like to do that when I'm if, – if I'm working and I want to watch something, I try to avoid – things I'm, you know, highly looking forward to or something that I have to pay attention to 100% because that's no way to watch, you know, most things. So this is this was like a good candidate for kind of a background watch. Um 
would I recommend it? I don't know. There, there's many similar movies like this that cover the same uh, subject or same, I guess, uh, subtext going on. But, you know, it, it was okay. I would say a very middle-of-the-road movie, and that's level 16. So it was um, solid. I I wouldn't even go that far with this one. It's just kind of it's moist, there, I guess. Yeah, it, it's up uh, uh, getting there, I guess. <laughs> uh, did anyone see No Exit on Hulu? No, I think, it, I think it, No No Exit was Hulu. Uh, more thriller. Is that the one with the Allstate guy? Allstate. We're all stuck in this building. <laughs> uh, it might be. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. It is actually. Now that you did that impersonation, I'm like, I, I was trying to put the voice together. I'm like, oh yeah, it is that guy. Oh. Yeah, and that's why it's funny because they're all stuck in the middle of nowhere. It would have been hilarious if like, let's call all sticked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one definitely more thriller than horror. Um, it's okay story there's some twists that happen but it's nothing you got to run out and see um so i'll just yeah well there's also that new movie called fresh that i thought it it was that one was pretty good it but the thing is it's two hour running time and it's about a good 45 minutes until like we get the horror stuff so there's going to be people right off the bat and they're like what's going on why am i still watching this and then all of a sudden oh okay here we go. Um, there's some good gore in it. Uh, good motivations for the kid. Well, I, I wouldn't say good motivations, but you understand, okay, why this guy's doing this. It actually reminds me of a lower budget movie that me and Venom covered a couple years ago. But I feel like if I can't really say the title of the movie because that gives away too much of what's going on. And if once you see the movie, you'd understand what I'm saying. But um was it Freddy yeah, got I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that movie. That everything reminds me of that movie. Oh but, wait, uh, if it's a movie me and Mike covered, it has to be Maniac Farmer. <laughs> Maniac Farmer, my favorite movie of 2018. Yes, <laughs> is the TCM 2020. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That as, as opposed to. That from your review. Oh, Fresh God. is one I would actually recommend, though, so I would tell people to watch Fresh. Yeah, that, the main reason I brought that one up because we were considering for Fresh Cuts, but we went with Hellbender for our new one episode coming up instead. So I was like, okay, I'll bring this one up here then. Yeah, I prefer witches. Uh, witches and bitches, yeah. yo. Word. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, What's next? Venom, you have anything left? Uh, unless you want to talk about the Simpsons episodes that I've watched over the last month. Otherwise, nah. <laughs> Are they I watch a couple of Treehouse of Horror. catching up? What? No, oh. let's catch up. There, there's, not, there's no such thing as a Simpsons episode I've never seen. <laughs> oh, yeah, so you're pretty much up on I just watch it. it. That's like my de- – uh, Twin Peaks and The Simpsons are like my default. I don't know what to watch, so I'm just going to throw on one of these. Because I don't – Speaking of Simpsons – Speaking of Simpsons, have you ever seen that YouTube channel called Dark Simpsons? Um, I've watched a lot of Dark Simpsons videos, so I I don't know that I've it, been on the channel specifically, but I've probably seen some of their content. Yeah, basically where they take like different 
episodes and clip them together to create darker, like kind of dark comedic storylines out of it. Oh, them. it's kind of like that thing where they make trailers, the movies and make them like horror movies. Like, full yeah, stuff. yeah. I'm going to fucking kill you, Jenna. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It, it's pretty much along those lines, but nice. uh, yeah, the dark Simpsons uh, YouTube channel is pretty funny. Um, nice. uh, uh, Derek, yeah, do you have anything else? left? Oh, okay. Not really, unless you want to talk about me watching reruns of Law and Order SVU. Woo! Simpsons and Law and Order all day. Ding Let's ding. Start a podcast, Derek. If we could do a mashup of those two theme songs, <laughs> podcast is already making itself. My favorite version of that Law and Order theme, though, is Organized Crime. Uh, I have I've never watched the Law and Order in my life, so I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I know the show. I obviously I know the show, and I do recognize the song because it's so popular. But I've never watched an episode. Watched an episode of My Alive either. <laughs> I mean, I, I know what it is. Obviously, I've never watched but... an episode of CSI. I think I did watch I... an episode of Criminal Minds once, and that was pretty good. My, I'm sure oh. they're all good. It's just I don't really watch a lot of crime drama on TV, if any. It's not really my thing. I'm yeah. not sure, folks. I, I watch cartoons and porn. That's it. The good, the good thing about those kind of shows, though, they usually don't have like a revolving story, and you could just dig into any episode and not have to watch the whole series through and yeah, through. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I would. That, that that's the kind of show that I would probably jump in every now and then. But like I said, I just I don't know. Like even like a couple of years ago, I got really really heavy into true crime. And even that, over the last couple of years, like I barely listen to any true crime podcasts or YouTube videos anymore. I, I, I'm a I'm a creature of uh, not habit, but what what's the term like uh, flavor of the week? <laughs> I'll uh, really get into something for like a year and then completely abandon it. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. just funny, like so, like how they give they this guest star these that. Uh, the guest stars of these episodes of the show where they were playing like rapists and shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> Michael Gross? Burt Gummer is a rapist? Uh, Michael yeah, Gross kind of comes I, off a little rapey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As far as, Venom, as far as your like podcasting listening and how it's like kind of shifts yeah. and molds, like I, I find like in recent years, especially, and maybe it's because I've been working from home and because I have more options of my entertainment, but my podcast listening, at least as far as horror podcasts and maybe movie podcasts go in the last year or so, it's really started to skew towards, okay, what have I watched recently or what's new? Okay. I want to find every show that's just talking about that and like hear everyone's opinion on it and then move on to like listening to something. Oh, wait, I forgot. I did have something else because I mentioned it earlier. I watched the Blu-ray preacher. From 1985. Oh, the Peter Benchley one? No, the William Malone alien ripoff. Oh, the Bill Malone one. All right. Nice. Yeah. And? and it's, what is your Blu-ray review? It's pretty great because it's the best the movies looked because pretty much this movie was obscure for so long. You could watch it on YouTube and like different shitty copies. And even like there was a DVD on Amazon. It was like a bootleg. But, uh, yeah, this movie is interesting. It has a very weird cast because it has fucking, uh, the head of, like, the space crew's fucking Ferris Bueller's dad. 
like legitimately from Ferris Bueller's Day Off is the guy who played his dad in that movie. <laughs> and, funny. and then all of a sudden, because when they get to the planet, they find out like there was a Russian spaceship that crashed too. And they find the Russian survivor and he's played by Klaus Kinski. <laughs> and he's just rapey as all fuck. Cause you know, like legitly like there's a scene where they're talking to Klaus Kinski and he's like raping, rapey IE in a cheeseburger. It's like the great, and then later on, like uh, the security lady is played by Diane Salinger, who you probably remember she played the Penguin's mom in Batman Returns and that opening, and she was in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Uh, there's a scene where Klaus Kinsey grabs her ass in the movie, and she's like, "Hey, don't do that! Ah, you and me are gonna be good friends." Klaus Kinsey's like one of those actors where. It's more, you know, like when the those things you hear about him on screen, like not on screen, are even as interesting as you don't when you see him on screen, and it's fucking crazy. And uh, it has some good creature effects. It might be a movie that we might cover later on our other show, Venom. But uh, yeah, it's got some good head explosions, go gore. The alien looks pretty different than the xenomorph. It's kind of cheesier because it's a lower budget movie, of course. But uh, actually, ironically enough, a lot of the people that worked on Creature actually went on to work on Aliens the next year. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy in that sense. So, yeah, they did good what they had. They went on to do other movies and another. They're doing the sequel to the movie they were been off pretty much. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Cool, man. I yeah, I need to, I need to get on that one too because uh, it sounds amazing. Hell yeah, Klaus Kinski raping people in space. <laughs> yeah, and now I've just ruined it by saying that sounds amazing. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess for my final round, I'll just bring up two things really quick. One is a new show on Epics Network, which. I didn't know Epics was making original content, but I guess that's like the way to go about things. Yeah, they have that subscribers, but they were doing a. They have that Godfather and Harlem show that's pretty good. Oh, nice. Um, Forrest Whitaker. It's pretty good. Oh, cool. Well, uh, yeah, they were a a few weeks ago when the show premiered, they were doing a free preview weekend and they made like the first three episodes available. And it's it's called From, a one word title. It's kind of a mix of Lost and if everyone remembers Wayward Pines, at least the first season, Wayward Pines. The second one is. Yeah, the one with Matt Dillon. The Matt Dillon season, right? Yeah, the show that Fox basically fucked because they filmed it like two years before they aired it. So then. And and they they didn't think it was going to be a hit, and then they finally just throw it on in like mid season in a mid season dump just to be like, well, we got to put it out there, and everyone ended up liking it, and then they're like, oh shit, we got to do a second season. Oh, everyone from the first season's committed things, so let's just kind of do a completely different story that's semi related but all new cast and yeah, predictably like they, they do the same thing with good. the ex. Oh, by the way, I did watch the first season of The Exorcist finally too. Oh, how'd you like it? It was pretty good. You know, there's some slow parts to it, I thought. But I thought when they got into the meat of the story, 
It has some good jump scares and some good possession scenes and shit like that. And I kind of like the twist. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I wasn't expecting either because I thought it was even pretty good leading up to that, not even really needing that twist, but it, it was good. I like the way they weaved it in there. Yeah. And I know, like, like, it seems like similar, like, I heard the second season's different, kind of like Wayward Pines. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, they take the story to, like, a whole new setting with all new people. I still think it's, like, they they made something better than they managed to do with Wayward Pines Season 2. The problem is, with Exorcist Season 2, it looked like they were almost resetting up a new foundation for the future, but because it ended, it felt incomplete. By the way, I did love the twist that Gina Davis was fucking uh, her character from The Fly. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that was funny. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Yeah, she's like, I gave birth to a worm baby, and I pretended to be dead, and I escaped. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad. Grundle. Brundle. Brundle. <laughs> All right. Let's go past yeah. My Oh, yeah. The other thing I was going to bring up was actually a, a video game I was playing. Jesus, so... how much shit do you watch? <laughs> oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ, Mike. Well, this is a video game that other people are watching, I guess, if they watch my Twitch once in a while. But uh, I was looking for, like, a really kind of, like, low-grade, old-school type game because my laptop is not really equipped to be a gaming PC. But I was tired of just streaming off PS4 on Twitch because when you stream straight off a console, at least with a PlayStation, unfortunately, you don't – there's not much customization. You can't really do anything. It's just you hit stream and it kind of throws your feed up on your Twitch. So I was like, well, I want to be able to, you know, build the channel at least somewhat. Um, but I, you know, I can't play anything modern. So, uh, there's this game I found on steam for three bucks called vampire survivors. And it, the graphics are pretty much like Nintendo era eight bit. And all uh, the, the controls are basically just navigating through hordes and hordes of enemies, but it's really fun. You know, it, it could almost be classified as like a time waster game where just, hordes and hordes come after you You have to survive 30 minutes and then you technically beat the level um it's a rogue game where it's like the name of the game is basically unlock crazy crazy amounts of stuff crazy amounts of weapons levels characters all that but it's pretty fun and it's only three bucks on steam so um if you're into like those types of games i would recommend that and then yeah once in a while i stream so you know i post streams. a link to that <laughs> yeah, I, I cross the streams into the world of Twitch. That's where it sent me when I cross the streams. Gross. But other than that, yeah, other than that, that's all I really got for what I watch. I know I watch more stuff, but I just don't think I didn't write. I didn't write it all down. So, uh, yeah, I guess we can go right into news, which even that I don't have much of. I, I wrote down the Carpenter thing about the cool, but the problem with that is if you actually read the article, it's like oh. Someone asked him, and he gave the usual can. Sure, yeah, I, I'd love to response, and that's all there is to it. So don't get your hopes up about a sequel to the thing, at least like based on Carpenter himself making it. It's and the thing is like, yeah, but what if he produced it? Well, who cares? That just means he's selling the rights to put his name on it. That doesn't mean anything necessarily. Um, 
And the only other thing I had, and this is like kind of, I guess, newer, is I guess Fetty Alvarez is making an alien movie. Oh, uh, and Fetty Alvarez is, I don't know, to me, Fetty Alvarez is kind of like a polarizing figure because some people love all of his stuff, some people don't like it. Me, I'm kind of middle ground on him. But the article I read, like right before we started recording, is saying that it, um, the this would have uh, not it would not have an attachment to like the original franchise, and I don't know what it's like. Does that mean it would be like an entire reboot that just happens to have Xenomorphs in it? Does it you know? It's like there's just so many with with the way things work now. It's like I never really understand what they're trying to tell us half it's the time. TCM twenty twenty two with aliens. I mean, maybe, but I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. He but, did produce you know, that. He did produce that movie. <laughs> yeah, he did. His name was on it. And that's like another case of like, I don't like how much was he really involved in it? I don't know. I don't know what his producer credit means in this case. Um, but it says, yeah, it, Alvarez's take is being kept deep inside the studio's chest. Ha ha ha. But sources describe it as unconnected to the previous movies. I'm like, well, okay. So I guess that means at the bare minimum, Xenomorphs will be in it. I assume they'll be somewhat similar design. Although, you know, each alien movie, they did modifications on the design. So I wouldn't be surprised at that, but Uh, I guess it's a crossover. Don't breathe where the don't breathe guy just fights Xenomorphs. Okay, if he's fighting Xenomorphs and having success, <laughs> he is not one. I'm sorry, but <laughs> and he's been lying through the first two movies, <laughs> which would be a, I guess I guess a twist in itself. Hey guys, I was never really blind. Um, oh my god! But yeah, you, I guess we'll just have to wait and see on this one. <laughs> I mean, do you have an appetite for another alien movie? Really? Yep. Do you? Uh, I mean, a good one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just... To me, it's like another case of like a franchise that's... I don't know, it's weird because... Do we call Prometheus part of the Alien franchise? Even though it's yes, in the same not? universe. 100%. You know. Yes, it is part yeah. of the Alien franchise. Yeah, it is. Because... I, because I actually think Prometheus is good. It's just I that it, if... Oh, like, they, oh, yeah, you know, and the studio kind of fucked him on Alien Covenant, though, when they like, we're going to have aliens in this movie. Well, you know, that's the thing. It's like, even Prometheus, it felt like there was a little pressure to put more of it in there towards the end that maybe they originally wanted to, but I still thought it was overall a really good movie. I liked the themes it was trying to explore. I've, and... I've, seen, I've seen a girl give birth to a squid in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I like the whole original life and like what and how it's like yeah you may get an answer that you don't and they like. had like a stingray face hugger that was fucking terrifying mm-hmm. yeah and they definitely threw in that last scene to say look see we told you there'd be yeah. alien in this and then the, gi- and the giant dudes from resident evil were in there for some weird reason <laughs> yeah yeah and then, and then once covenant came out it was just like okay now they're basically admitting that like yeah we just want you to make more movies and then they try to half-ass explain that spoiler alert for Alien Covenant. David created the aliens. I'm like, what the 
fuck? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, we're also getting a new Predator movie, right, called Prey, coming out. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm I more think... curious on that because it's supposed to be like a timepiece where Predators are in, like, Native Americans. Could be interesting. It's different. It can be as bad as yeah. the last one. Well, it will definitely be interesting. Um, I, I want... I, I mean, it's it's hard to even ask these questions until we see it, but I really want to see them go back to the aspect of the Predator kind of doing, like, the greatest game on, like, people, you know? Because that's what it seemed like. Obviously, the first one's, like, legendary action movie, but I like the fact that the Predators as a species, like, yes, they were killing, but it wasn't just... Into, well, I, I guess it, where you fall morally, I guess maybe they were, you know, doing it as like a hunter's thing. Like, let's see, let's find the greatest humans we can find and, and then go when up against Predator, them. Then Predator Two is like a canon movie, but it has like this yeah. fucking great ending where, like, after he kills the Predator, that fucking ending happens. You're like, whoa, what the fuck? Well, yeah, I love the um, the disposition of you know jungle in the original and concrete jungle in part two i thought it was a good way to put it in a different setting um but then you know after that it to me it kind of strayed from that idea so i'm wondering with prey because like the thing is like an unarmed human in theory should have no chance against um a predator or whatever the hell you would call that species but um We'll see, like with Native Americans, because obviously, if if the, if that's the era they're tackling, they have weapons. They're just a little more primitive. So I just want, I just want, I, I just want these three people to be in the movie. I want Adam Beach, Graham Greene, and West Duty all in the same movie. Do it. Well, it, it remains to be seen if you get your wish. But yeah, like to me, like the Predator taking on a Native American guy shouldn't be do, using like laser guided like RPGs or missiles or whatever the thing on his shoulder is if the Native American guy tops out at like a bow and arrow and tomahawk. So it'll be interesting to see how they tackle either, it, if they even are going for that aspect. I don't, either, and I don't either that or I want to fucking uh, crossover, another crossover where the Predator fights Trent Williams as the substitute. <laughs> Trent Williams, oh God. Not even Tom Berenger from their first one. <laughs> uh, hey, I love fucking Substitute 2 is my jam with BD Wong as the bad guy. <laughs> Good morning, class. Oh, I want but that's all the news I had. Uh, do you guys have any news? We're going to make a Trent Williams appreciation podcast, Mike. That's the uh, news. We're going to do that? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the next No More Room in Hell Presents. Oh, God. You and me just reviewed Tree Williams movies. The first, <laughs> the first one, will, the first one will be the Phantom. I need those skulls right now. Oh, I need those skulls. <laughs> Count me out. You're in it, Venom. Uh, oh man. Uh, all right. Well, like I said, yeah, I'm out of news. I, I really didn't have a bunch of news that. But then we, that then we do, do a crossover. Yeah, then we do a crossover where we do deep rises. It will be a creature comforts and Trey Williams. Presents. <laughs> True Williams presents. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, man. Maybe I should start drinking. <laughs> I think I'm too You guys got for any news episode. items? Huh? I have no news. I say you. 
I've seen a lot of news. I just haven't had a chance to. I was busy earlier. Um, back to your point, though, Mike, about um, predators and dealing with Native Americans. Uh, the thing that you're underestimating is home turf means a lot. Look at how much trouble Russia is having with the Ukraine right now. Because that, you know, people will defend their homes to the death. And especially since they're more familiar with their homes. I mean, obviously, Predator is an alien species. So unless he's doing a reconnaissance from outer space, he knows nothing about the area. So I, I would say the Native Americans will probably be plenty prepared. Um, assuming the Predators stick with the rules of, you know, not over... Uh, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like not bringing a gun to a knife fight, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, because he I took on to know, like the, the original enough. Predator took on Arnold hand to hand, no weapons. So I, I, I that basically the premise. But yeah, definitely never underestimate home field advantage in any um, any kind of like altercation, any any kind of war or or attack type thing. Yeah, home field advantage really does matter. Yeah, it'll be like a Papalicto yeah. meets Predator. Exactly. Um, yes. Thank you. That which hey, that might actually work. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that could yeah, make Apocalypto yeah. uh, watchable would be a Predator. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Um, I I definitely agree. Like I, I I'm not saying like I I didn't mean to make it seem like Native Americans have sure. no chance. More just if they because I don't even really know a lot of details about it maybe purposely <laughs> like they're not revealing saw, much about it all i've seen was the poster and i'm like i'm in that's all i need <laughs> yeah the poster does look cool um but yeah it would be it is an interesting dynamic though because if you you know by obviously the predator coming out when it did in that era we already obviously had heavy artillery to use against him but if we're talking a period piece back when weapons um, or more yeah, primitive I'd be curious cells than to be the, fair about it. Like the predator shouldn't be using like I'd, missiles I'd that he can fire at these guys from like yards too. away. Like, like it would be interesting if they didn't have the laser cannons and they just use spears. Oh, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, period. Yeah, you never know. Predators. Yeah, I, I'd be down. Yeah, exactly. But, because they've been around really for trying, what, who's because, the best warrior. You have to kind of be level head because we because we, we know body. from the end of the predator too that they've been around for fucking years because you know he gives yep. them that 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 musket that's fucking from like seventeen twenty six. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. you can even add that dynamic. You can even build on that ending of Predator Two to say, yeah, we we uh, through the. You know, whatever. I was going to say through the sands of time. <laughs> God, like days of our lives. Dude, uh, but, uh, you know, I'll, but like, you know, the... since we've been doing this for so long, we're going to match kind of like what era of sure. uh, mankind is in. We revisit Earth every so often to say, OK, they've had an evolution in their weaponry. So let's see if we can match up against that now. Yeah, yeah I mean, because all we're saying is the end of the Predator 2 is fucking amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, yes, I, I, I would. I think Predator Two is very underrated. Yeah, I would concur. Um, okay, well, if we're out of news and we kind of already did our running question, I guess. I mean, yeah. unless there was anything you wanted to add to it, but I think we went through pretty much what I was going to bring up after the fact. Any. Well, by the way, did you know that Robert England is going to play a Predator in the Predator movie? No, he's going to play a Xenomorph in Alien versus Predator Three. 
Yes. He's going to play both. <laughs> ah, this is going to be a Freddy Predator and a Freddy uh, Xenomorph. He's going to play the Xenomorph and the Predator that the Xenomorph dreams about when he goes to sleep. <laughs> Welcome to space, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's right. Let's right. take a break before I go hilarious. <laughs> yeah, we will be back to discuss a couple of movies I don't even think Venom mentioned. Nope. Did you it's a secret. Party? It's a tight tight secret. It's super <laughs> secret probation. Well, oh, obviously, oh. as we mentioned earlier, this was supposed to be our February episode, so obviously, you know, I I like to keep, you know, themes going. So we, we tried to have a uh, kind of a uh, I wanted to think of a creature, you know, that maybe has bad luck at love. I mean, obviously, you know, werewolves and, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, but I, I decided to go with vampires and we we're going to look at a couple of uh, vampires trying to deal with love type situations. So we're looking at uh, Thirst from 2009 and we are looking at an Iranian uh, vampire film from 2015 called A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Um, and uh, I guess Mike will play a trailer or two now, and we'll be back with our feature reviews. I want those skulls. You know, I was going to say, you know me so well. <laughs> it's almost like I listen to the show. Bye-bye. We'll be right back, and I want those skulls after we come back. Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go! And now, on with the show. All right, folks, we are back. Uh, This is Mr. Venom. I'm going to be driving the bus here for a little bit because, as we mentioned before the break, these were my selections for February. So we are going to start out with 2009's Thirst from South Korea, directed by Park Chan-wook, who you may recognize as uh, the director of what? The Host, uh, the Vengeance Trilogy, right, Derek? He did Um, not do The Host. Oh, no, not The Host. I'm sorry, the Vengeance Trilogy. He uh, did Stoker. That's right. The Handmaiden Joint JSA. There you go. Yeah, so Park Chan-wook directing, and our synopsis is as follows. Through a failed medical experiment... A priest is stricken with vampirism and is forced to abandon his ascetic ways. And those who don't know what ascetic means, it's basically um, uh, abstaining from everything, abstaining from drugs, alcohol, sex, love, blah, blah, blah. So basically, you know, I mean, just saying he's a priest should have been enough. But there you go. Um, So, yeah, uh, this uh, I picked this one because uh, this is a movie I've seen a few times. I uh, absolutely love this movie. I, I genuinely love this movie. 
Uh, but, but before we get into my general thoughts, let's go ahead and bring in, let's start with Derek today. Derek, as you are my Asian cinema friend, uh, what do you think of Thirst? Uh, I, I love Thirst. Uh, the thing that, it's a very simple vampire story in general because it it, it doesn't, like with a lot of like the Asian vampire movies that came before, like they're mostly like the Hong Kong stuff is mostly what was driving the vampire, like the hopping vampires and shit like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a very like Eastern take on vampires still, but it adds its own uniqueness to it where I like how, you know, every time he doesn't drink blood, he st- gets stricken with the virus that he was infected with. Yeah. Again, and that's a unique take on it, and you know, it has like the vampire tropes that a lot of other movies have, like you know, where they could see like the veins and stuff when they're feeling the hunger, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. And man, this movie, like typical Park Chan Wook, he usually has some weird steamy sex scenes in his movies, <laughs> and this one's there was some assy involved in that sex scene. <laughs> There totally was, and it didn't show it, but you'd know there was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was hot and heavy, and uh, uh, the two main leads, fantastic. Uh, Kang Ho Sung, which uh, I can see why Venom would say uh, Park Chan maybe confused that he did direct the host, because right. this guy's in every Bong Jo Ho movie ever. Yeah. Like, like the host, <laughs> Parasite. He's even in Snowpiercer. Yeah, Memories of Murder. Yeah, he's yep. in, uh, but he's also in a lot of Park Chan Wook movies too. Like he's in uh, Symphony for Mr. Vengeance, and he has a smaller like cameo role in Lady Vengeance. But uh, he's a fantastic actor. He's in yep. uh, uh, Kim Oak Ben, who plays uh, the main female lead. Uh, I. Honestly, only know her from one other movie, and it's the movie The Villainous from a few years ago. And that movie is fucking awesome. If you are a fan of like South Korean action movies, that movie is on another level because it has this great opening where it's all first person from her perspective, and she's just fucking killing everybody. <laughs> and you know that that's a great movie, and they're both fucking great. And I love where the story goes. And the the end of the movie is bittersweet because uh, he finds out about his that he can't have everything that he wanted, and you know this woman is gonna stop unless he does something about it. So he has to make the ultimate sacrifice for both of them. And it's a unique movie. It has some oddball characters too, like uh, the older priest that he talks to that wants to become a vampire. Which is a very interesting aspect of the movie, but then we also have like the the mother-in-law of uh, the main female character, who's fucking odd in sense, and you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it has some oddball moments, which you get with a lot of like Asian cinema, but overall, it's a typical vampire movie that plays by the rules, and it's fantastic. It's great visual, stunning to look at. And uh, has a haunting score, and I love the scenes of like when he's learning to like jump onto buildings and shit. It's fucking great. Ah, yeah, I love that stuff. 
Um, I'm going to come in here now since this was my pick. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this is not a first time watch for me. I've seen this at least two or three times before this. And every time I watch it, I love it more and more. I mean, this is a movie that's two hours and 15 minutes and absolutely doesn't feel it to me. Um, to me, it feels like a solid hour 45, maybe. Like, I barely noticed that, uh, you know, over two hours went by watching this. Stellar performances by just about everyone in the film. Derek mentioned the mother-in-law, who's just an absolute great foil for our, you know, antagonist slash protagonist. I mean, this is a weird movie because we are following two main characters, but to call them protagonists would be a little bit of a misnomer since they are yeah. kind of the ones perpetrating all the evil in this movie. Um, this is a very emotional vampire movie. Like I, I, I love this relationship that they have, even though, you know, this sweet little girl that he thought would take to vampirism a little bit better um, went off the deep end and, you know, wanted to be that, that badass, you know, blood sucking, human killing vampire, you know, from uh, ages past. And it totally makes sense. I mean, someone who's, you know, this is a little petite South Korean woman. Um, you know, she she was adopted by that family, basically married into that family, you know, marrying the son. Um, a son who basically has massive health issues and is constantly needing nursing and everything else. So you do feel bad for her. And it does make sense that once she gets that little bit of power, that little bit of, you know, I, I, I can actually, you know, hold something over other people. Um, it kind of goes to her head and she just goes, you know, basically headlong into embracing the vampire mystique. I love that because, you know, you can see the heartbreak on um, our priest, our, our main character's face as this is happening. And he, he knows it. He recognizes it long before he actually, like, voices it in the movie. It voices any concern with the way that she's acting, you know, because, you know, he, he obviously he's a priest. He came from a very subdued lifestyle, very quiet to himself. And it seems like he wants to continue that after, you know, his uh, um, mishap at the hospital that basically made him a vampire. You know, you can tell that he's trying to lead a quiet life. He's trying to drink blood quietly from, you know, either, you know, people that don't have to die or at least are pieces of shit. So, yeah, I mean, you could tell that this guy really, really wanted to try to, you know, change the, the lore of vampires, that they're not just blood-sucking monsters. But then in comes the love of his life, who is already a married woman. So, I mean, we already see the priest kind of walking farther and farther away from, you know, the path of God, um, you know, with falling in love with a, you know, taken woman dreaming about having sex with her and then actually having sex with her in a goddamn hospital next to a comatose person. I mean, yeah, he he's strayed about as far from the path as one can stray without actually killing. Cause I mean, you know, at this point in the film, he still very strictly doesn't really want to kill unless it's absolutely necessary. So, you know, it's a heartbreaking film. Uh, 
But visually, this movie is stunning. I, I think the cinematography is some of the nicest I've seen come out of South Korea. And that's saying a lot because South Korean cinematography is pretty stellar in itself. But yeah. the, the rooftop shots of these vampires bouncing from rooftop to rooftop, basically very similar to the wire foo that we see in like a crouching tiger, a uh, hidden dragon type movie, um, you know, Wu Ping style. Um, wire fighting, but to, to see them bouncing from rooftop to rooftop, it's like it was magical and beautiful all at once. Like I just the the way that it had kind of like an ethereal score playing in the background as they're bouncing from uh, rooftop to rooftop, and just the way it's shot, it just looks gorgeous. I was so impressed with it the first time I saw it, and then every time I've seen it since then, it just strikes me more and more every time. And this ending, this last like 10 minutes is some of my favorite um, final minutes of a vampire movie ever. I absolutely love this. This movie's still fairly new, so I don't think we really should get into major spoilers. But let's just say uh, the final scene of the film are two vampires have very different ideas of how they want to move forward. And it basically turns into a back and forth, not really a battle, kind of a battle. But just me, more of a struggle, I think, would be a better way to put it. Just a, a struggle. It's a fight for survival. It really is. It really is. Without actually physically fighting, it's a struggle for survival for one of them. Whereas one of them makes a, you know, a very hard decision that he feels, he or she feels, needs to be made. And the other one is very against it. Um, and then just the way it ends, that the final couple of shots, I it gets me every time. Um, you know, I wouldn't say man tears are shed necessarily, but it is, uh, you know, a little bit of a gut punch of an ending because it's like, you know, here's this little priest, never bothered anybody, tried not to ever hurt people, wanted to live a quiet life. And just because he wanted to um, to make the love of his life a vampire as well, and it just can't, comes back to bite him, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, and that's just heartbreaking to me because I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a married man. I'm long time married. And yes, if by some freak of nature, I became a vampire, my first thought would be to make my wife one. And if she, you know, did what this woman in this movie does, uh, I would probably do the same thing as our priest does, but it, it's, it would be heartbreaking. It would be absolutely heartbreaking that the woman I love once turned into a vampire is just a completely different person. It's no longer the person that I fell in love with. It's this bloodthirsty monster that must be stopped. So, um, yeah, the emotionality of this movie just is right. I, it's, it's like I said, it's one of the most emotional vampire movies out there. Um, you know, American, Korean or otherwise, just a stellar, stellar performances, great score, great cinematography. I mean, there, there's really nothing negative I can say about this film. It, it's it's just absolutely stellar. I adore it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I just wanted to mention something without giving away what really happens in the end. Of it. Mm-hmm. We actually mentioned Midnight Mass earlier, and I feel like Mike yes. Lanaklin watched this movie and kind of took some of the elements of the ending of this and put it in the ending of Midnight Mass. Uh, yeah, actually, you can make that argument. Absolutely. That's funny. I hadn't actually made that connection as I'm watching the movie this time around, but now that you pointed out, yeah, definitely. There are definite similarities there. Very cool. All right, Mike, come on in. What'd you think of thirst? Uh, thirst is amazing. I thought it from the first time I saw it, you know, way back when it first released. Well, I guess it's not way, way back, but you know, 
what is it about a decade now? Yeah, to a millennial, um, twelve years is a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's me, year one millennial. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm called an elder millennial now. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I, I love that my age officially qualifies for elder these days, but uh, Gandalf. <laughs> hell, hell, fucking Zach said you look like Harvey Feinstein. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> oh. oh my god, cool. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, look, so I think this movie has a lot going for it. I love the subtext here. I love the different ways in which people act once they become vampires, showing that it's not... You know, becoming a vampire is not just a universal thing where everyone is going to be the same type of vampire. A lot of times it allows you to act out in ways that you would have if you had the power to other or it might corrupt your sensibilities. Either way, I, I love the way the, uh, the the character, the main character of the doctor kind of is really trying to navigate his own humanity once he gets turned and he's kind of realizing everything going on around him more. And ultimately the decision he makes at the end of the movie, I, I think he, he, he's not, well, shit. I, I guess it's hard to even get into that without spoiling, but he, I think he realizes certain things about, um, what it means to be a vampire as far as like, is it sustainable? How, like how, how, how do you be a good vampire ultimately really? And, it's it's a question I don't think he has good answers for, which brings us to you know the end of the movie. But uh, I I love the characters in this. I love how it explores. There's some really just individual great brutal scenes, but this movie is so much more than those those scenes, and that's what I really like about it. It's like when it when it needs to uh, kind of throw that at you, it does it. It doesn't hold back when it when it shouldn't but that's not all there is and that's not all the movie provides it's just a it's a great effort from start to finish and i agree it's a long movie but it doesn't feel like it because of how the story progresses Well, because 25 and minutes of it is just that sex scene and you're just on i even have in my notes here how the the at points in this movie the pacing is breakneck i mean for a movie that's over two hours there, there's small chunks of the movie where a lot happens, a lot of plot development, a lot of story. And, you know, you almost need like a slower moment to breathe. Like you almost need that sex scene so that you can kind of, okay, nothing's going to happen while they're uh, having sex. Uh, I can relax. Grunt. Yeah, grunt. <laughs> yeah. A lot of grunting, a lot of Ooh. nudity. Um, oh, uh, the first on-screen male penis, well, male penis as opposed to a female penis. Uh, but yeah, the first on-screen penis in a South Korean Park, movie. Park, Park Chan-woo has to outdo himself because uh, Sif Thief and Mr. Vengeance is the first like movie where it's a sex scene with no dialogue because the main character of that movie's death. Right. So they're doing sign language while they're fucking... Sexy. Yeah, and you know, later on, you know, Stoker, even Stoker, the American movie... Fucking Mia, what, 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 whatever the fucker last name is, it's like a tongue twister. <laughs> fucking, she's just fingering herself in the tub. And then later, when he comes back to Korea and does the handmaiden, he's like, "Fuck you, let's just do anal beads, y'all." <laughs> the man knows what he wants. <laughs> he knows how to keep me interested. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think this movie offers a little bit for everyone. I mean, there's going to be the people that 
just I guess won't get into the longer running time or just the story character aspects of it. But I thought that all or all that stuff was great and made the movie uh, as good as it was. That's the kind of stuff I love in in movies. So. Yeah. There was a lot of really subtle things that I liked about this movie. Derek mentioned one earlier where whenever uh, the priest would feed on blood, his sores would disappear. I, I love that effect. I just it, it was really subtle. You know, it, it didn't take a whole lot of CG to pull that off. But when you're when you're actually looking at the shot and you see him drink and then slowly the boils start to just disappear from his face. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. A nice, it's, mm-hmm. it's a nice touch because, you know, yeah. everyone thinks, oh, if you don't feed, you just, you just fucking no. This fucking if he doesn't feed, the virus comes back and fucks him up. Yeah. I like that. The thing I like about it, whatever, because spoiler alert. A few people get turned, and they end up getting the virus too because he has it. <laughs> and so they yep. end up getting those side effects too. So they have to feed too. <laughs> exactly. He didn't realize he was uh, uh, passing on more than the vi- vampire virus when when he's uh, sharing his blood. But uh, yeah. uh, another heartbreaking factor to this movie. So yeah. Um, man, what else? Um, <laughs> I thought the scene. I I, I thought. Uh, what are we looking here? Oh, armpit licking. Yes, yeah. armpit licking. How, how could you be against a movie with armpit licking? Come on. Yeah, that's what I mean. A, a new it's fetish a, highlighted. You know, you know, there's totally <laughs> a fucking deleted scene where they're just eating ass. Yeah. Because I remember when Bo and Duncan fucking reviewed this movie on Hero Hero, and he's like, Bo's like, you know, there's definitely was some ass licking in this movie. Oh, guaranteed. Absolutely guaranteed. <laughs> and the Vampires weird extreme this, taste. Exactly. This movie has the weirdest three-way scene I've ever seen, where our our two protagonists and her dead husband somehow are having a three-way. Holy! I mean, I know it's a dream sequence, but holy shit, that was the weirdest fucking thing. <laughs> oh yeah, that's one of those scenes where it's like horrifying what's happening, but you can't help but kind of laugh at the exactly. way it's presented. It's, it's almost like, it's almost funny because the guy is laughing, the the dead guy, the dead husband. He's like laughing while he's sitting there tag teaming his wife. It just really comes off so odd. Very a, not erotic. It's, a, it's like the giant ant scene in Old Boy out of nowhere. Like what the fuck? Yes. Yeah, it definitely throws you for a loop. Like, what the fuck? I mean, I I, I think I understand the symbolism of it. Um, but yeah, you know, because they're they're always going to be stuck with them. They they murdered him together, so obviously. Yeah, he, he has a lot of what the fuck scene. Like in Lady Vengeance, there's a scene where it's like a dude's head on a dog, and it's like, what the fuck? Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, a great director for head scratching scenes. You know, stuff that'll really leave you. Uh, you know, fucked up a little bit, or at least, you know, questioning what the hell you just watch. Um, yeah, the mom, the, the mother-in-law, I mean, holy shit that I enjoy. I think I enjoyed her character more after um, she had her little condition and stopped talking. Yeah, <laughs> it was great acting. That was, I mean, she was literally acting with only her eyes. The only part of her face that she could really contort um, you know, while supposedly being in some kind of not literally comatose state, but, you know, a mute state where she's not really speaking or moving much. But what she's able to do with just her eyes uh, is amazing. I, I was I was in awe. 
I mean, obviously, as as a viewer of the film, we know what's going on. But the, the way that she's able to express thoughts and ideas to like other people in the movie who don't know what's going on and successfully, too, I, I, I just thought that worked out really, really well. Um, and like I said, that character uh, totally worked for me. I even like the way that they used her in the final scene where she's just in the backseat of the car, kind of forced to watch these these two vampires kind of go at it. I, I thought that was kind of uh, pretty cool. Um, you know, hopefully somebody finds her and she doesn't sit in that car for too terribly long, but yeah. who knows? <laughs> uh, the movie just kind of abruptly ends right there. So, uh, but yeah, just, I, I love the use of her, as I've already said, just all the different cool little things that they've done um so you know we get a cool a couple of cool neck snaps uh when dad uh when the dad of the family kind of dies he he gets this great little neck snap um i i do admit that the movie the the pacing of the movie starts to slow down ever so slightly in the third act and i mean just a little nothing major nothing that anybody would really complain about but it is something that i i wrote down in my notes so i thought it was worth bringing up that you know towards the beginning of the third act it does kind of slow down ever so slightly, but not really, you know, uh, not enough to affect the movie in any negative way anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what the hell was up? There is one scene of this movie that I don't really grasp and maybe Derek or, or Mike can help me out with. But why did he try to rape that homeless girl? Like, I didn't understand that scene when they go to, like, the encampment with all the homeless people. And he just goes into that girl's tent and just starts assaulting her. Like that was a weird scene to me. Like I, I I'm sure there's symbolism there that I'm not catching or some kind of metaphor. Was, was he a vampire already? Oh yeah, this is much. This is much later in the movie. This okay, he had already, be, he had already be, turned his girl into a vampire. Because to be fair, I watched this movie two weeks ago, so it's kind yeah, of exactly. Me some, too. some details are kind of stealthy. In my head. Well, basically, I mean, it's after he's already turned his girl. It's the night of the party. Remember uh, when they killed everybody at the party except for Evelyn, uh, uh, the priest spared Evelyn. Um, that night, they they kind of run off, and then for some reason, he stops the car. He sees like a homeless encampment, and then he goes and just assaults, like sexually tries to anyway, because he does get thwarted by the other people. The girl, uh, the girl starts screaming and all the homeless people around them in the encampment hear her. They instantly come to her aid and they basically pull the priest off of her. And then he just, you know, walks away while he's putting his clothes back on. Like that entire scene left me scratching my head. Uh, It's kind of, it kind of reminds me of something like Bram Stoker's Dracula where Dracula when he's blood hungry and you know he just fed, he gets a little bit hornier. Sure. Like when he's like turned into Wolf Dracula and he just straight up rapes Lucy on that Stonehenge, which is yeah, yeah. the what the what the fuck scene of that movie. I mean, it just I found it really weird that he literally, I mean, it, it had only been a couple of days since he turned the love of his life into a vampire. And here he is basically cheating on her, but she's there. Like, she's in the car with him. And, I mean, she's not there at the encampment. He kind of runs off by himself and goes over there to where the homeless people are. I, I don't know. That entire scene. I mean, if that's all it is, if if it's because cause he did just feed. They just killed all those people at the party. Yeah. So, so, obviously, yes, all three of them, or excuse me, both of them have fed 
heavily this evening. So if that's the case, cool. I wish they would have done something in the movie to kind of explain that, that maybe his his inhibitions are harder to fight when he's just fed, you know, when he's like, you know, just drunk, a blood drunk, I guess would be the word. Yeah, and and also to be fair for this movie, there's a lot of time jumps that we don't even know how many days have passed since she yes. has turned, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense too, where... You know, she was in that room, and you know, we kind of see the creation like of a vampire again, which we kind of, which does kind of make the movie slow down a bit because we already seen all this in the fucking beginning of the movie. You know, yeah, in that sense. Absolutely. And you know, and plus, he was getting kind of annoyed with her because he, she did lie about some aspects of what the husband was doing, and it kind of yep. fucked. You know, so it could be a bunch of things that are all together. Yeah, I mean, you could make the argument that he took a little bit too long to make the decision that he finally made at the end of the film. Because, it, it, like, to the viewer of the movie, the girl goes crazy almost instantly. Like, she, she goes full-on vampire almost right away. Like, at, at first she argues and fights, why did you do this to me, blah, blah, blah. But then once she kind of realizes how it feels, she just goes headlong into being a vampire and... It felt like he let her live longer than he should have. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. especially because she she ends up taking out that whole family, basically. And it's like, why would you allow her to do that and still not take her out? You know, like there there was something. Obviously, love is a crazy thing. And, you know, it's not like it's easy for a man to kill the love of his life just because she's a little crazy. But, man, that it definitely felt like it took him a while to make the decision that he ends up making. So, um, but not uh, again, a minor gripe that does not affect the enjoyment of this movie whatsoever. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, this movie may not have the action of the vengeance series, but it has all of the heart, all of the emotion, all of the twists and turns. It, it is an absolute classic Park Chan Wook movie. And uh, I can't recommend it enough. I just, yeah, and as I've it, already said, uh-huh. Yeah, and other than like a vamp, like a character as a vampire, multiple vampires, I guess in the movie, it definitely feels like watching a new take, something unique on it. You know, it doesn't feel like oh, it's another in the long lines of a Dracula movie. No, it's it it really uh, focuses a story and the characters to me and the conflicts, uh, the the humanity aspect of it and losing one's humanity kind of in not fully, you know, uh, knowing what aspects to embrace of the van- the new vampirism and all that. I love all of that. Yeah. Yep. No, it, it, it really is a great film. I mean, and this is a film that has gotten a lot of word of mouth. I mean, when it first came, I didn't watch it right away when it first came out, but as soon as I started hearing websites and different YouTubers that I follow talking about how great it was, I jumped on it. And yeah, I I mean, everything that's been said about this movie in a positive light is a hundred percent correct. It's, it's near flawless. Um, I mean, not that I have any ideas on improving it. It's not quite a 10 out of 10, but it's about as close as you can get without being a 10 out of 10. I, I love this film and I can watch it anytime. I think it's a, if you're a vampire fan and you're, but you're only concentrating on like American and British vampire movies, yeah, you're doing yourself a disservice. There's a lot of great Asian vampire movies out there, and this is just, you know, this is one of the highlights, really. But there's so many out there worth watching that you got to check them out. Yeah. But yeah, high recommend from me. 
All right. Um, if we are done with Thirst, which it sounds like we are, we can move on to our next film. That is going to be 2015, at least in America, 2015, 2014 in Iran. Uh, but the 2015 American um, Iranian release, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, a little bit of a long title, but I, I, I do kind of dig it. Um, we're going to get it really artistic with this one, folks, whereas Thirst was visceral, bloody, maybe not action packed, but we did have some, you know, vampire action in there. Uh, we're going with the complete opposite with this one. This one's going to be the metaphor filled, artistic. Um, obviously, if anybody knows about this film, you know, it's in black and white, even though it is from 2015. So, you know, it has some really stark cinematography. Uh, the synopsis for this film is as follows. In the Iranian ghost town of Bad City, a place that reeks of death and loneliness, the townspeople are unaware they are being stalked by a lonesome vampire. And, you know, um, it, it, what's funny is that uh, but there, there's no vampire in this movie for a good 10, 15 minutes. Like, we don't actually meet our titular vampire until a little bit later. We spend the first part of our film with... Um, Arash, who is a young man uh, just trying to survive in this world. He lives with his dad, who is a drug addict, a very heavy drug addict. And mm -hmm. basically, uh, dad owes a lot of money to this particular drug dealer. Um, I think they just uh, I forgot what the what the drug dealer's name was, but um, just this kind of. Actually, the drug dealer looks like the lead singer of uh, D'Antverd. You guys know that South African hip hop band? Yeah, Chappie. He, he, yeah, he looks exactly like him. I couldn't get over it. He, he almost sounds like him, too. Holy shit. I, I, for a minute, I thought it was him, but this dude's Iranian. That that other guy's, uh, what, an Aussie? Right? Oh, no, South, South African. South, South African, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I was struck by how much alike he looked. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like I said, for the first 5, 10, 15 minutes, we're, we're kind of spending it with Arash. And as he's going through dealing with his father's drug addiction, dealing with the fact that um, his father owes this drug dealer a lot of money, the drug dealer eventually takes Arash's car, which is like a really nice sports car convertible that Arash had saved up like for years to buy this car. And the drug dealer literally just takes it from him. Um, Arash is obviously kind of a quiet, standoffish kind of guy. He's not in your face. He's not particularly big, blah, blah, blah. Just like a really, you know, average kid trying to work, trying to, you know, mind his own business. But, of course, dad is fucking everything up. And as we find out much later in the film, dad actually fucks things up even worse than we even know at this point. But we'll get to that. Um, so let's go ahead and bring Mike in. Mike, uh, was this a first time watch for you? And what did you think of A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night? Uh, absolutely not a first time watch. I I remember when I had first heard about this because they released like the teaser trailer. I think I think the entirety of the teaser trailer was the scene where the vampire is like I think walking. Um, down the street at night like what perpendicular or parallel to uh that other character kind of when they're walking the vampire starts walking stop stops kind of like that little tension mm -hmm. scene i believe that was the whole teaser trailer so right off that I, alone i was kind of interested to see what this is going to be all about and yeah i definitely agree this is more on the artsy side of the genre but for me the, i guess the positive aspect of that and I guess it depends on what the individual thought the first time they saw it. But it, it's a movie that 
for me gets better each time I watch it. The before watching it for this show, I actually watched it because um, I, I believe for the summer series last year it was on the, the list. Um, and I, I was uh, I've always been a fan of it, but I like it more now. You know, I I, I think when and you're dealing with like the metaphors and the subtext in this one, multiple watches kind of help bring it together and make it a more, uh, uh, solid story and motivation. It, it really seems like the vampire in this is kind of punishing like bad behaving men in that region. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> something I brought up la- uh, uh, I want to say the last, cause we've done vault vampire themed episodes like what a handful of times now but i know mm-hmm. when we did i think the white deer when we brought up that one is i, I made the point and it, it totally qualifies for this movie too i like when you get a movie out of a region of the world that takes something and really personalizes it to like their experience growing up or the region of the world they live in and uh i think this movie does that perfectly well like this this could never you know this is not like transylvania dracula but in uh this region of the world no it feels uh very middle east uh you know uh you have the backdrop or backdrop backdrop of like it's in kind of like desert climate obviously being iran but there's also like oil fields it looks like a place that's kind of been devastated by industrial revolution to start to some extent and everyone's just kind of like trying to deal with that you have a lot of interesting different characters some that at the beginning you might think are going to be around longer than they ultimately end up being yeah. there um and i just think i i think on a first time watch it might be hard to put together exactly what's going on because it can feel like it's jumping from one thing to the next because of the way some characters get introduced and they're kind of interesting and then they're like gone all of a sudden but i think that's where multiple watches come in and you start to put together what's going on with the vampire what the motivation is what they're kind of doing in in the in the city in the region and uh i'd I like it. I like the way it um, it, it goes. And uh, something I, I find hilarious, which is coincidental, is the director, Anna Lily Amapur, is attached to a, a remake of Cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> like, how the hell did she – like, that? it just seems so random. Um, but but there's the thing. Would I be interested in a Cliffhanger remake necessarily? No, but the fact that – uh, she's directing it now. I'm kind of like, well, that'd what is like she gonna Ari do with Cliffhanger? That'd be like if Ari Aster was like directing Die Hard remake. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I guess for my opening thoughts on it, yeah, I'll I'll leave it at that. But yeah, I am a fan of this one. Nice, Derek. Come on in. What do you think of this one? Oh, this movie's beautiful. It's a very beautiful movie. Uh, this is my jam because, for one thing. This is like a hidden spaghetti western, <laughs> like in the setting and scope in a town called Bad City. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell this director is a fan of a lot of stuff. Even the soundtrack sounds like something Ennio Morricone would compose. Yeah, and it's fantastic. The soundtrack—I love the soundtrack to this movie. I love that this vampire is a skateboarder because it's like out of nowhere. <laughs> like the first time I watched, it, I was like, "What?" <laughs> This is cool. <laughs> you know, it, it's just a visual. The performances of Sheila Van and Arash Amarni as Arshra 
They're pretty great, and like all of the minor characters are ta- like characters you've seen like a western movie, like the junkie, the fucking prostitute, the pimp, the princess. They all have nicknames. Like mm-hmm. it's cool, you know, in that sense. And the weird thing, the the thing that's very interesting in this movie, this movie's actually shot in America. Yep, California, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so that's even crazier because they made it feel like foreign when it was even filmed in like a place in America, you know? Yeah. And it's so cool in that sense. And uh big shout out, Elijah Wood is actually a producer of this movie. Yes. Yeah, because Spectre Vision is one of the, his production company released this movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, this movie just kept me very interested. I actually owned the the first release by Kino Lober, which came with a graphic novel, which was sort of like a prequel. Yep. Which was was very cool. It's a very cool release. Uh, ironically, both these movies were released by Kino that we're reviewing today. So shout out to Kino <laughs> for putting these movies out on Blu-ray. They look fantastic. And yeah, I love this one too. It's it's a very different, unique take, and it's just beautiful. It actually. Ironically enough, I was listening uh, earlier this year, Baz Ween happened, and mm-hmm. Baz watched this movie for the first time, and he gave it a perfect score, which is odd for Baz. Yeah. I mean, you can't argue with it, honestly. I mean, what, what would you take points off for? <laughs> you, know, but, but you, but, 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 you know how Baz reviews movies, too, on that Valid, show. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that so it was true. kind of shocking, too, that he gave it, like, a five out of five, because <laughs> usually, like, other movies would be like, yeah, that's a fucking two. <laughs> you know. oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah, for me, believe it or not, this was a first-time watch. Uh, I haven't actually seen A Girl Walks Home Alone uh, before, but I did watch it twice this week, or over the last two weeks, because I fucking loved it. Um, yeah, this movie, I mean, Derek said it best. This movie is beautiful. This movie is absolutely gorgeous. Um the the stark cinematography with the uh, black and white backdrop and just like Derek said the fact that it's shot in California yet still I still 100% agree with Mike's statement that they that this filmmaker the fact that it is an Iranian filmmaker you know gives it that Middle Eastern feel um, you know despite the fact that it's shot in California um, I also like the fact that the director I don't know if anybody's ever seen a picture of this director she actually looks like the girl. Yeah, she, she looks a little bit like the girl. Yeah, so actually, much, so much so that she actually shot the skateboarding scene. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's yeah. fucking nuts, right? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And yeah, I mean, this girl is, uh, she's, she is oddly cute. Like, the, it, it's weird because in certain angles, she looks like just plain Jane, nothing special. But then from another angle, suddenly she gets really cute. It's Are weird. We talking about the, the girl, the vampire. Yeah, yeah the girl. Oh, I'm talking oh, about the yeah, Sheila Van. Yeah. Yep, Sheila Van, exactly. Like she she's an oddly attractive woman. Like she doesn't she doesn't, you know, um ooze sexiness or anything like that. But like I said, there are certain scenes in this film where, you know, she's just standing there and you're kind of struck by how cute she actually comes off. So, you know, kudos there for the casting. Cause you know, you know, you don't want it's easy to just get like, you know, some hot ten to be, you know, a, a vampire, a female vampire who's taking out bad guys, but you know, to have a more quote unquote normal looking girl, if you will. Um, I thought that was really cool casting. Um, I, I love the cat in this movie. I think the cat is great. Yeah. Um, the cat kind of plays against type because as most of us 
longtime horror fans know, animals in general don't like vampires. You know, we, we've all seen Skinwalker, not Skinwalker. Yeah, it, no. Um, damn it. What, Terminator. Oh, no, the cat movie, the cat vampire movie. Damn it. That shitty fucking. Sleepwalkers? Wait, Sleepwalkers. No. Was it Sleepwalkers? Yeah, the incest cat movie. Okay, yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, yeah, like, you know, movies like that always kind of show off that felines don't like vampires. But in this movie, our little cat, Masuka actually loves this girl like embraces her instantly literally this one in one scene in this movie um our our vampire who's in the credits is just the girl which i also love i love the fact that they don't actually name her um and even though arash does ask her multiple times in the movie what her name is she never relents and tells him her name so i just kind of i dig that kind of mystery of it all um the, the the fact that the cat the, the fact that she kills the cat's owner and then instantly the cat embraces her I, I i just thought that was a really cool different thing to do you know it, it's easy to just have the cat be scared of her and run away or whatever but obviously they needed that for a plot point because the fact that you know we see there, there's a backstory to this cat that literally starts all the way back in the first scene of the film yeah. so when arash sees the cat in the girl's apartment, he pretty much instantly knows what happened without actually giving it away here. You know, he knows that cat doesn't belong there. He knows where that cat does belong. And yet he handles it so well. Like he doesn't snap. He doesn't like make it incredibly obvious that he recognizes the cat. He kind of plays it really well, which kind of leads us to the final scene of the film, which is kind of, it's a very quiet, very subdued scene. But there's a lot going on there because Arash is kind of making his decision on what he's going to do. You know, they're they're leaving the city uh, and then Arash kind of pulls over almost like he's having second thoughts. He keeps looking back at the cat. He realizes what this girl did and um, he's kind of just making the decision. Well, do I stay with her anyway? Do I, you know, do I go back to my hometown and just go back to my shitty existence? It's a pretty heavy scene, even though it's just silent. It's just quiet. Literally, they're just sitting in the front scene of a car. Um, and then, bam, we get credits, which I know would probably upset a lot of horror fans. Like, a lot of horror fans might look at this as not much of an ending. I'm going to disagree with that. I, th- I think this is a perfect ending for this film. Very open-ended. Um, I, I think they do. I think we do actually see them drive away right before the credits start. So Arash does kind of make his decision, which is of course to stay with the girl and kind of start a life with her. Um, But I just love that this, you know, vampire movie that actually does have a little bit of blood, not much. I mean, it's not a visceral, I wouldn't call it a visceral horror film, but you know, it's more about the themes that they're exploring. And like I said, just the, the beautiful filmmaking between the cinematography and the score and everything else. Um, but yeah, this movie is just an overall triumph. Um, it, this is another movie that I would probably say is about as close to a 10 out of 10 as it could be. I, I don't know that I would actually give it a 10 if we rated these movies, but it would be pretty damn close about 
you know, somewhere in the 9.5, 9.75 range. Because, I mean, there's really nothing to nitpick about this movie. Obviously, if the movie doesn't work for you, if you're not a fan of slower horror films that are more metaphor-driven and less action-driven, then, yeah, you're not going to like this movie as much. But, I mean, if you're a cinephile and, you know, you appreciate great filmmaking, there's almost nothing to complain about here. Um, yeah. it's, it's not right. a particularly long movie, right? Uh, how long was this movie? Uh, just oh. an hour and 41. Hour and 40. Yeah. That, I mean, compared to the two hours and 15 minutes we spent with thirst, that's, that's a nice quick little runtime. And like I said, considering this isn't the most action packed vampire film or the most visceral, um, the shorter runtime kind of works out better for this, even though it is an artistic film and those tend to run a little bit longer. Um, I think this one kind of nails it with its runtime. Um, I have no issues with its pacing. I mean, it's slow throughout the entire thing, but the movie establishes that early. You know, I mean, within the first 10 minutes of the movie, you kind of know what you're in for. It's more of a character driven, you know, slower story, um, more dramatic than anything else. You know, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of horror. Hell, I honestly didn't think we'd see fangs in this movie. Uh, but we do eventually, she does eventually expose her fangs and what, what's a pretty cool looking scene. Yeah. Uh, she's got the retractable fangs thing, which I, I always appreciate. I, I like the retractable fangs. I've always been a fan. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I can see why, who was it? Bo, you said gave this a 10 out of 10. No, um, Baz, 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 yes, Baz uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't disagree with them. Like I said, I don't know that I would give it a 10. I might. I mean, if I'm in a really, really good mood, I might give it a 10. Um, but it, like I said, it's about as close as it can get to with, you know, without actually being one. So, I mean, I'm really happy with the choices I made for this week's movies because they're both just gorgeous movies and they're both incredibly entertaining for different reasons. But um, I think most horror fans would gravitate to at least one of these films. I think most would probably go towards Thirst since it is, you know, bloodier and more action packed. But Man, if you're into art house cinema, a girl walks home alone at night should not be missed. It, it, you know, I don't know that it's something that I'm going to return to a lot, but it's definitely something that I will watch again um, more to appreciate um, its subtle filmmaking brilliance, you know, that's yeah. displayed throughout the film. I, yeah. I just wanted to add because I missed in my general thoughts, but you guys have both mentioned it. Um soundtrack or score amazing if, if you're looking to give your movie some local flavor to whatever region uh yep. you're filming in or depicting at least one of the easiest ways use the local music uh because i i love hearing music in you know different cultures and how yeah. and what you're used to seeing and then also uh when it comes to the ending of this movie i, I think like a contrast is or, you know, or a contrast versus compare is the ending to uh, let the right one in. Yes. I think with the with, with let the right one in, I, I tend to skew in the direction that Oscar was being manipulated every moment since Ellie met him. And yep. that the ending is the result of that, where compared to this, you have a similar ending with him making the decision. But to me, there wasn't manipulation in this one is this one was more so him kind of looking back at what his life is and making the decision where like hey i don't know if you know going off into a new city and i guess starting a life with this character is the greatest thing but i'm going to look back a a couple times at 
what I currently have and say, well, I'd rather uh, go into the unknown. So I think where you have similar, you you have similar scenes depicting uh, what's going on. I think there there's a stark contrast in in what's going on at the same time, and I I think they're two. I did like the ending. I like the open-ended nature, even though it seems like we get a good enough idea of him making the decision, but I still like the way it ended. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Good shit. Yeah, and kudos Elijah Wood, man. Keep keep bringing us movies like this. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, big big studios aren't going to make movies like this. You know, th- this is going to be something that's always independent, but when you got names like Elijah Wood attached to it, um, it, it just gives it a little bit more exposure and validity. And yeah, who would have yeah. thought, thought Elijah would be like attached to this movie, but then a few years later, a movie like The Greasy Strangler. Yeah, which I also love, by the mm-hmm. way. But that's another story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and the, and the great the great thing about getting movies like this made is whether or not this movie itself becomes like a cult classic or a hit. Uh, it it still starts careers of people, or at least gives careers that injection that they they might have needed, and then who knows what people will go on to. Cliffhanger. Yeah. Hey, I mean, if, if she if she was able <laughs> yes. to get cliffhanger because of this movie, then Cthulhu bless her. I I'm I'm down for it. I she's, mean, she's, you know, yeah, she's a cool chick. I heard her in the. Yeah, a few podcasts. I, she she was on the the King Cast a few episodes back oh, where nice. she talked about Pet Cemetery. Very cool. Yeah, yeah I, and, I've and the seen thing one is, interview like, with her, and she seemed pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, she might get like a, you know, cliffhangers or cliffhanger might suck, having nothing to do with her. But guess what? Because it's likely a big, you know. A budgeted movie, she might get paid enough up front, and so where after that she gets to go back to making something she actually wants, and she needs to hold into like what studios <laughs> told her to do. Exactly, yeah. No, I mean I'm always down for uh, independent horror uh, directors to get their big break. You know, I mean we spent like ten minutes uh, during our uh, Fresh Cuts episode of Bingo Hell talking about how much we'd like to see Gigi Saul Guerrero maybe, you know, get a chance to make a studio movie that may never happen because she's still a little bit niche right now. Yeah. But but mm-hmm. yeah, anytime a director can get a big money project because of something that they did, you know, on a more independent level, I always support that. Fuck so. who fuck who would we thought who would have thought that Ben Wheatley would be directing the Meg too? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'll go with that. Uh, it just turns into a cult movie. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch that uh. <laughs> alright well if you guys don't have anything else to say I am pretty much done myself so yeah I'm done I love it yeah yeah. good picks Venom thank you Mr. Venom yeah Mike <laughs> Mike, take note Mike <laughs> and one of these was a first time watch so I did take a chance but it's a movie that I've pretty much only heard universal praise for, so I kind of figured it would yeah. be okay. <laughs> Damn it. Should have won the Summer Series now. Fuck it. <laughs> you know, I would have fought for this one at the Summer Series, but that's kind of, that's me, though. Like, I, I tend to fight for the uh, the more artistic horror that maybe a lot of, like, the uh, whorehounds don't appreciate. Uh, I, I, don't, oh, I made some enemies on my fucking roundtable. Did you guys hear that? Mm-hmm. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, people who are fans of Get Out don't listen to that episode. 
Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Jordan Peele stands. Stay away. <laughs> I'm like, it should have been fucking us. Fuck this movie. There you go. All right, Mike, what do you say we wrap a bow on this boy? Yeah, let's uh, thank everyone for listening for No More Room in Hell number 42. But before we get out of here, our final uh, agenda item is to let everyone know where else they can listen to us and what we got out. So, Venom, will kick it to you. Oh, um, right back, much. right back to you, I guess. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> not much new from me um, because of my new job. I've already explained this on multiple other shows, but I'll say it here again anyway. Uh, because of my new job, it doesn't kind of afford me the amount of time that I had to podcast before. So I have had to step away from a couple of my shows. But of course, you'll still hear me on all three No More Room in Hell shows. That's, of course, this one, the main show. Fresh Cuts, our weekly look at the newest genre releases, and the newest member of the family, Creature Comforts, which, of course, is Derek, uh, Don, and Ellie, and myself looking at the best creature features out there. Um, episode 6 of Creature Comforts is recorded and being edited as we speak. I would imagine um, as you hear this episode, Creature Comforts will also be available, so... Um, another week where No Room in Hell is putting out three episodes. So that's pretty epic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then the only, uh, uh, the couple of other shows that I still am officially a member of, uh, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space and In the Mic of Madness, are still on um, extended hiatus right now as we you know try to figure out scheduling. Um, I've, I've explained this before within the Mic of Madness, but Rebecca Reinhardt, also has other podcasts that she does along with all of her independent horror filmmaking that she does herself. She's a director, a makeup person, hair, catering. She's even done catering. She's a jack of all trades for independent horror. So obviously episodes of In the Mic of Madness are going to be few and far between. Our last episode was our tribute to 1981, which we put out like maybe three or four months ago. Um, you can now hear those on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network, so check those out. Um, and that's pretty much it from me, Mike. Nothing else planned in the future, no guest spots. The only guest spot I did recently was on Cinema Beef with Gary Hill and Iris, where we looked at um, we looked at a couple of uh, escape convict films. Uh, one was, of course, the classic The Defiant Ones with Sidney Poitier and Tony Curtis. Uh, just a spectacular film. One of the me, best looks. Can I guess the other really... one? What's that? I guess the other one. Oh, I mean, do you even need a guess? <laughs> Black Mama, White Mama. Black Mama, White Mama. Which Eddie, actually, Eddie Romero. Believe it or not, it was a first time watch for me. I had never actually seen it. And I actually ended up having a really good time with it. It, it opens up as a women in prison movie. Yeah. But then it turns into just any classic Filipino exploitation film with lots of naked Pam Greer and uh, the other girl uh, whose name kind of slips my mind. And but Sid yeah. Haig's outfit. Oh, and Sig Haig's spectacular shirt. Holy shit. Uh, I I literally wanted to call the movie Sid Haig and his uh, amazing Technicolor dream blouse, but uh, nobody agreed with me. So, <laughs> but yeah, that for that the very first outfit that Sid Haig is wearing in that movie is an outfit for the fucking ages, my friends. It is seventies personified, and and only Sid, Sid Haig could pull that shirt off. <laughs> so yeah, um, I'll recommend there definitely. But yeah, so that was my guest spot on Cinema Beef. That episode is available as we speak, and that's pretty much it from me, Mike. 
Okay. Uh, Derek, what do you got going on lately? I got nothing really going on. I've been kind of boring. All right. Me and Derek got to start a podcast now. Yeah, uh, nah, it's just been actually we did have an episode of Cinema Attack that's not out yet. We recorded it. We did the Ghostbusters trilogy. You hear how I said that trilogy? Why was there was there a movie that came out a few years ago? Because I don't I, I don't remember that. Yes, I unfortunately do. But we didn't. I, add I it. never saw it and don't care to. Yeah, you, you're good. And it's not—it's not a sexist thing, by the way. It's not like I'm railing oh, we, against it because we actually do minutes. talk about the movie, but we didn't watch it for the show. Good, good. I mean, yeah. I mean, you should recognize it. I—I I don't have any personal problem with the movie because I haven't seen it. It could be great for all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chicken I just haven't—I haven't really had any desire to sit down and watch it. Maybe someday. Maybe one day I'll watch all four Ghostbusters movies back to back to back to back. But. Who knows? Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, but th- that should be out probably next week, I hope. Nice. Yeah, but that's about it. Plus, I did a, just a guest spot recently that's not out yet. So I don't know if I want to announce that one yet. Maybe the next show. I'll, I'll do that if it's out. You know, because, uh, you know, I don't want to like, where's the show that you said you were on? Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, yeah, a few other guest spots here and there that are coming out. Of course, Creature Comfort should be out next week, like Venom said. But that's about it for me. A lot of my shows are on hiatuses, but, you know, Venom, one of them's on hiatus, plus a few other ones are. So, yeah, I'm available on the Man Whore if you want me on a podcast. Come see me. We're all whores, damn it. And, and Mike just does nothing but eat chicken nuggets. Cause chicken well, nuggets Mike, Mike is the cheap whore that nobody wants. Yes, exactly. he, just eats, he loves chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets are like his family. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as far as I go, yeah, not much other than the regular stuff. I was a guest on Bo's Dark Parade. We talked about The Gate. That was fun. Um, what else? I think that's pretty much it for me as well. Uh, yeah. I, I saw that on YouTube and I watched, or should I watch slash listen to like the first 15, 20 minutes of it? Yeah, pretty good. I mean, Mike is terrible, but the show is pretty good. Cool. <laughs> well, then, yeah, then I guess everyone would get what they're expecting, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think rotation goes back to Derek next. And didn't you say you already know what your picks are going to be? Yeah, I do know what my picks Woo! are. Well, I'm going to tell you. Good. Feel free to announce them. Yeah, we're going to be doing two psychological movies that have a connection to both Asian cinema, but they also are kind of influenced by Italian cinema as well. Ooh. Of course, the first one is a anime film from 1996 known as Perfect Blue. Yeah. Hey. And we're also going to be taking a look at a movie that will be a first time watch for me, uh, Pearson. Oh, Pearson. Yes. Okay, I, I I remember seeing that. I only saw it the one time. I think I think I remember it being pretty good. Yeah, Nicholas Pesh. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's going to be a good show. Two good movies. Nice. Yeah. See, Mike, take note. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to those. Uh, Piercing will be a first-time watch for me, too. So, looking forward well, to it. Life, 
perfect. Yeah, and, and and I would describe it because the the Asian connection to that one is it's actually based on a novel by the same guy who wrote Audition. Oh, <laughs> which makes sense. Classic. Yeah. Ah, torture porn, so fun. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, sounds awesome. And uh, we're still, you know, uh, at the beginning of March, so we should be able to at least get that episode out in March. We will look to do that. But until then, it's uh, time to descend back down to the Lake of Fire. So let's say bye to the listeners. I'm going to become... I want those skulls. (laughs) I want those skulls. All right, folks, uh, take care and think really, really hard before you turn your girlfriend into a vampire. Just think really hard. Yep. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Adios. Hail Satan.